to episode 84 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. We are using the magazine Zap 64 as a monthly guide for the games to focus on, but we are in no way affiliated with Zap 64 itself. This week we start our look at April 1988 and the first batch of games reviewed in issue 36 of Zap 64, along with what was also going on in the UK singles chart that month. So Graham, what have we got going on this week? In this overloud next door neighbour's Halloween hot tub fancy dress party, complete with now that's what I call spooky soundtrack, a washing up bowl full of an eye-watering vodka and three-year-old advocar based fruit punch labelled brain juice, a plastic pumpkin full of vodka-soaked Haribo and a dog wearing a mini witch's hat dry heaving on the sofa of an episode. We grab our best 8-bit binoculars, clip on our Commodore epaulettes and take the fight to the oceans as we command some battleships in Strike Fleet. Head to a bizarre medieval-themed future, climb aboard our space vehicle thing, and rescue some knights in shining armour in the nonsensical Night Games 2, and then check in on those pesky xenomorphs and their evil machinations before heading out to give them another good kicking in Skyfox 2. If you've eaten enough blood pasta and your drunken conversation with the person dressed as a vampire owl is going all shouty, we break out our bats, balls and bricks for a multifaceted, multidimensional game of Through the Wall in dot dot dot. Traz, once again hunt around a narrow brown corridor looking for something to do and then shudder at the pointless portmanteau crazy of Mandroid. Flying some supplies to the hungry folk trapped in an embassy in the utterly misplaced nonsense of Helidrop, before finally grabbing our trusty and dusty old mapping pen and scooting around some high-res landscapes as Linda in the Starquake Semiloid Scumball. Are we finally seeing better games on average here? Or like Sergeant Howie in the Wicker Man, are we just being shown penis-shaped topiary? Let's take this one slowly. Mm, okay, some Super interesting games. Duper. <laughs> Like Tagana blinders. Um, well, it's the it's the first it's the first uh, episode of an, a new month, Graham, and you know what that means. Um, yes, <laughs> I can tell you know what that means. That means yes. we must we must discuss the cover. We do, we do, we okay. must, we do, we can, we, we do. Are. So this is you know issue thirty six one one pound twenty five seven point five of your Deutsche Markers or three point five of your US dollar runes. It all predates the euro then. Most massively, yeah. We're not there yet. Um all right, so this cover, uh what do you think to the cover, Graham? Well I like it because I like Dan Dare and that's you Dan Dare. I do like Dan Dare. It is Dan Dare on a very white background, which uh it seems is. to have been forgotten. <laughs> it is quite bright that for a background, but it is uh, it's quite good. It's very Dan Dare though. I mean it is Dan Dare. It is Dan Dare, yeah. Yeah. So although it does look stuff. like he's holding a giant banana he might be, and no wonder that Treen Trooper is going, oh, he's just grabbed his banana, painfully so by the look of it. Massively so. Um, I like it's got the Mekon in there as well, and his little you know, flying boat thing. 
thing with his purple T-shirt. It's all, it's all classic Dan Dare stuff, isn't it? So it is. Eagle. It's like a front cover of the Eagle comic. It is. Did Oliver Frey do uh, Eagle covers? Do you know? I don't know. Maybe uh, he did. Maybe. Funny feeling he's maybe something to do with it or somewhere, but he's certainly, if he didn't, he's, he's, he's captured he's the that. essence. Yeah, well, yeah. it's exactly the essence. I mean, that is that is thoroughbred, classic Dan Dare, you know, daring do stuff. Yeah, yeah, there is. So it's Dan, Very cool. The, the game Dan Dare 2 is in this issue, so obviously that's what it's based on. I don't know if it's any it good. Is. I can't remember much about it, if I'm honest. But, oh, it's we, funny you say that, because I don't. No, well, we'll get... I think I think that's coming next next episode, so not this one. Yeah, Certainly not this not one. This one. Um, not yeah, yet. Not yet. So yeah, it's Dan Dare firing his laser, grabbing a banana, Mekon. <laughs> in his bright red suit. Bless him. It's very bright red. Pull out Amiga Special. All the latest 16-bit news and reviews. Mm. Yeah. And an amazing thousand competition prizes on offer. It's a lot of competition prizes. It's just one, <laughs> one pound. That's, that's more than they do in um, like you know, competition <laughs> weekly in that's a like year. It's like a scratch card. Yeah, it's like a well, of NAF scratch cards you used to get in the catalogue. <laughs> A thousand competition prizes. That's crazy. Yeah, that's it. But but you know, that's a lot. Anyway, yeah, that's the cover. It's all right. I don't mind it. It's Dan Dare. It just looks like a Dan Dare cover. Um, it does. It does. It's very much Dan Dare. Very, I say it's, it's classic Dan Dare. Interesting, there's a load of Mekons in the clone tanks as well at the background there. I didn't realise the Mekon was a clone, but now I know. Now is I know. that what they are? Is that, is, is they, are they clones? I don't know. I don't know much about Dan Dare. I just know that there's a Mekon with a big head. Yeah, the Mekon's in charge of the trains. The trains are the ones on the little scooter bikes, and Dan Dare is grabbing a train banana. It's unpleasant, that, in <laughs> the way they've done it, because both of them are going, aye, because it looks like it's, <laughs> that's not the way you treat a train. It's like, come on. No, it's not. That's, that's, that's a bit below the belt, even for you, Dan Dare. Just is. grab a train by his banana. <laughs> <laughs> Um, play fair. <laughs> he's very mild mannered about it as well. He's not perturbed, but he's got hold of a tree's banana in his hand. I know. And Dante's pants clearly are a bit leather and a, maybe a bit tight. And he's got a bit of, he's got tight. a bit of pant bulge himself. He's obviously getting a bit excited with the old <laughs> banana garbage. Yeah. A bit excited himself there. <laughs> he's he's daring. That's for sure. Yes, he and he's daring. He's definitely daring do something there. Something's uh, Dante's little day is coming out there. <laughs> pop out, <laughs> pop, pop out, Dante. It is. Hello. Oh, bless um, him. By the way, obviously there's a list of games that are featured in here. One of them is Sinbad and the Eye of the Falcon. It's always Sinbad has the eye of things to deal with. He's got the eye of the tiger. <laughs> tiger, eye of the falcon, eye of the storm. Everything's an eye of. It's like Sinbad just can't escape eye of adventures. It's like, oh, come on. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, yeah. I get, I'd never thought about it, but I, I, I guess you're right. Sinbad yes. has some sort of weird, sort of uh, strange affinity for eyes. <laughs> he just does eyes, you know, eyes. <laughs> Did Sinbad leave the iron on? <laughs> anyway, let's move on. <laughs> I might include that. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe I'll put that there. Good you cover, though. Do. A good cover. If that is, if that's um, our friend Ollie Frey, they're drawing Dan Dare, then I'm surprised he hasn't been hired at some point in the past for them because that's so good. It he must have been, I think. Mm. I mean, the only thing that they might, you know, they might ask for less banana grabbage, slightly less banana grabbage, and I don't think that the right hand of the ravaged tree is quite as angular because he's got like <laughs> a weird sort of weird glove on that's got kind of a, a weird gauntlet, like a like a cowbell gauntlet. <laughs> I suppose you'd hear him coming, nothing else. It would, you would hear him coming. All right, there you go, that's your cover. Let's that's get into cover. some other stuff, that's your cover. It's Dan Dare, Dan Dare 2, it's coming soon. Should we get in some games? I think it's time. I think it's time we sort of struck out and made made uh, made headway into the uh, the ocean to talk about some games. Oh, God. Let's do it. 
I was reaching for a. <laughs> just a link. don't need to reach that far, really. It's, it's just, not really. There's plenty, there's plenty of there's plenty of mileage in everything you said. <laughs> True. Let's get into our first game. Graham, Strike Fleet. Tell us about Strike Fleet. Uh, Electronic Arts presents a Lucasfilm Games production. Uh, £14.95 to you and me on the old Discaroo. 96% this got in Zapped. Only a sizzler, though. Bit weird, isn't it? Because 96% earned a gold medal, I think, in one of the episodes. It did. Episodes it did ago. indeed. Bloody don't stick to your bloody rules, will you? Anyway, uh, this was uh, coded by Noah Falstein. Dr. Falstein. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. No, he's not. I don't know if he's a doctor or not. And the musician is Nicholas Tenbroek. That's just the people. I suspect there's a whole bunch of more people involved with it. There was in the last one, wasn't there? This is yeah, there was more yeah. or less a direct successor to PHM Pegasus, uh, yes. borrowing plenty of the logic and parts and the look and feel of that, really, and um, sort of putting all that together. And for that, we have Strike Fleet. You play as the commander of a fleet of ships. No, we're guessing really with a title like that. Um, and it's, so you've got to um, first off dive into the extensive manual, of which is actually pretty good in the sense that it's quite thorough, not as thorough as your classic uh, microprose one. So it isn't 200 pages of why ships exist, how they get made, the high tensile steel ratio of the bolts inside the various bulkheads and all of that. It hasn't gone to that detail. This gives you what you need to go with, really. Um, this plays in a very similar way to PHM um, Pegasus, really. Um, so it's over a number of screens with options and obviously combinations of keyboard joysticks so we can dive in a little bit. The goal of the game, as it kind of was with PHM Pegasus, is to meet a series of objectives that are required in any given scenario, of which in this game there are 10. Each one um, lists your, each one of these lists your mission, um, your enemies, and provides additional comments and hints. And you can actually go through them and get a little bit of information about which they are, what's going on in them, what you have to do. So we have um, in number one, so the first mission, it's on the first scenario is Stark Realities, where you've got to complete a patrol and you only, can only fire in self-defense. You must only fire in self-defense. The second one is Enemies Below, where you've got um, Argentine submarines to destroy. The third one is Road to Kuwait. I didn't name these, and they are of their time, which uh, where you've got to escort a tanker. There's Falklands Defense, where you've got to engage Argentinian task, or an Argentine task force, uh, which is called Group 79.4, weirdly enough. Number five is Die Straits, where you've got to find and kill the members of the Die Straits band who are out on a boat at sea. Not really, I made that up. <laughs> that, that, um, that's something I could get behind. <laughs> um, no, and then you've got to escort your tankers to the Gulf. There's Operation Aww. Cork which is you've got to keep the Soviet forces out of the Atlantic, this surprise invasion, and keep enemy troops and cargo ships out of Trondheim. Why Trondheim? This escape to New York. Very nice play on words there. Get to the east coast of the US at maximum speed. There's Wolfpack 1990. Escort troops and cargo ships safely to Iceland. And there's Mopping Up, which is number 10. So you can destroy enemy subs and surface vessels before they make it to the harbour in the north for refuelling. So you get the idea and scope of those missions, and they are quite varied. Now, they follow a similar kind of play and the way it plays out to PHM Pegasus, but I'm going to sort of go through some of the parameters of how that works. So from that scenario selection screen, you can actually start and resume with a crew, and you can start and resume campaigns as well. So you've actually got some nice options here. So I suspect you always had a blank disc when you played this one for saving your progress which is actually nice because you've got, obviously the idea is to try and get through as many of these scenarios as you can completing these scenarios actually earns you a rank based on your performance from court martial which is obviously not a good thing to have <laughs> that's not um, a rank <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a, but it's rank all right if you do that it means you failed um, and you've not done well not good that no all the way through haven't. to fleet admiral which is you are amazing here you know here's some ships don't do some more stuff with them there's also two additional awards in here now this is i thought this was quite interesting you can earn two additional awards throughout different levels and these can occur at any time 
if you and the game's AI or whatever feels that you go going above and beyond in any given scenario, you can earn the service of merit and or the executive citation. Is that is that the first hint of an early achievement in a game? Just want to put that out there. Yeah, yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. Possibly. Interesting little thought. Anyway, so you select your scenario um, and you begin, begin to play out that scenario, play the game. You're initially presented with your docked ship in the shipyard and some key information, such as the name of your ship the ordinance and the class. Um, you can um, also then start to look at the task force that you've got. Now, this is kind of, it, aut- it can auto-create the task force. And by task force, I mean your fleet of ships that you can take into any given scenario. So you have a whole range of different ships and vessels with different kinds of um, ordinance and classes to them. So, you know, frigates, warships, all that kind of thing. And this is actually, the way you do this is based on a kind of a point value. So essentially you've got a sort of a range of amount of points to spend on other ships. And the more scenarios you complete and the more ships you bring back from that. So if you don't go out there and with a, sh- a fleet of 10 ships and go back to one going, well, at least we've got one. Um, <laughs> that's, that's not the kind of, you're not going to get a great rating for that. And also you're not going to have as much, as many points to spend on your next mission. So the idea is you, the better you do, the more points you accumulate. And points mean ships in this game. What do points mean? Prizes. <laughs> or prizes. Ships. Don't, don't mess with my, uh, with, with Bruce's <laughs> catchphrases. This is not nothing to do with Bruce Forsyth. He's no sailor. <laughs> anyway, um, so you basically, at this point, you can construct your fleet or not, depending on what you want to do and how you want to tackle the mission. I quite like that. I like that, that you're, you're the one building this fleet together. Um, and obviously, the more complex missions, and when you get to them, you've got more points to spend. You can actually construct quite a complex fleet of ships. And then, you've got, of course, you've got to control them. Um so that's kind of your budget, really. Obviously, the ships you can add vary massively. And so you need to think about that. Now, there is an entire descriptive part of the manual which t- just details you know, what all the ships can do and can't and the weaponry and all that kind of thing. And you, you're going to spend, if you're into this, you're going to spend time reading that so you know which ships go with what. And so you don't, you know, so essentially the main point being here is that um, strategy is really the key part to this. So you can't just, you know, go out to sea with a whole bunch of the wrong ships and expect to sort of win some of these scenarios because it ain't going to work. Some of the ships, for example, PHM Pegasus being a key one, um, doesn't have a sonar, for example. Ain't going to be much cop in a submarine battle with that one, is it? Because it's just going to get no, sunk real quick. No, it's not. And then you're going to go home real early. And as is rightly been pointed out in the Untouchables at some point, there's no point bringing a knife to a gunfight. So you've just got to make sure you bring the right ships into, into this particular affray for the right scenario. All good. So the initial mission is set out for you and the instructions um, give you all the required info that you need. And in fact, at the back of the manual, there's a whole bunch of hints and tips on how to do all of these. So they give you a lot of affordance in, in that you're not just thrown in, a bit like that crappy submarine game you played last uh, in the last episode where you just was like, "Is your submarine, go. All right, uh, boop, dead. Oh, <laughs> nothing like that here. You've actually got a little bit of affordance, a little bit of time to get used to things. And I quite like that. So once you've gone through that, you've clicked through the range of ships and you maybe added into a fleet and constructed that and you've tinkered with all the required parameters, you can set sail into the mission. In fact, there's 10 different ship classes that you can you can go into battle with from destroyers to frigates. And of course, like I said, the old PHM Pegasus is in there itself. Remember, no good for submarine missions. Just remember that. <laughs> um, and of course, like I said, the manual's got a whole bunch of t- hints and tips. So... Um, Next up, really, in this, so the next part of this really is um, it's more familiar PHM, PHM Pegasus territory. You start at the CIC, the Command and Information Center, where you essentially control the action of your fleet. You've got a map view in there, and your initial view is that kind of map view, very similar to Pegasus, PHM Pegasus. There you can control how you approach the scenario and where you're going to go and the waypoints. You can zoom in on this map. You can um, move things around, and you can sort of issue commands to your fleet from here. Indeed, you can actually split your fleet up at this point. And what will happen is you'll have a flagship in your fleet, which you assign when you start this mission. But 
if you split your fleet into two, so you send them on two different uh, different routes to a place, which is actually a good idea sometimes, um, one of your ships in the other group will become a flagship for that, and you can actually control them separately. You can merge them back into one fleet. It's really, really clever, and you do actually feel like you're in real command of a series of ships with this. I really liked it for that. Um, of course, it doesn't help that no, um, you can very quickly also lose track, really, of who you're doing with what and how. And, you know, you've, you've got to be on the ball with this. When you're controlling a fleet of ships, not like PHM Pegasus, where you are kind of one or two. When you've got like a fleet of 10 ships in this, you really need, need to know what you're doing. And because if you don't, it all falls apart very quickly. And you're just watching a submarine pick off your ships. It's very depressing. Let me tell you, very depressing. I know from grim experience with that. Anyway, um, enough said about my uh, the ill-fated Captain McGonagall and you know, what happened to him? We don't want to talk about that. It's a dark <laughs> period of naval history, I'm sure. So uh, the idea then is you've got this this map view and you've got your ships and they're all sailing off onto whatever destination you've got. Again, you've got some nice map graphics here and a little UI. The actual controls for this are actually combinations of joystick and keyboard, and that actually works quite well. You're not overwhelmed with controls. And in actuality, the controls work better in this one than they did in PHM Pegasus. They've refined that a little bit and because mm-hmm. there were some dual yeah. kind of controls in that, which changed focus when you went to a different view. And I found that a little bit confusing in the last one because you didn't know quite know if it was going to do the same thing here. That, that doesn't apply. So once you've gone from that um, CIC view, of course, you're in the bridge view. And this is obviously something very familiar to your PHM Pegasus players. Here you control the weapons, ship systems, and engines. You have that familiar binocular view where you can look out over the targets. You've got control over radar and or sonar, depending on if you have those. And also you can then sort of obviously maneuver the ship and get to where you need to be and and then go into battle and start doing all the real nice stuff that you actually want to do. There's actually a whole lot to control here. And I noted that at this point, sometimes the joystick felt a little bit sluggish. It has keyboard controls, which are quicker. But if you're moving your options around with the joystick, sometimes it'll go click, click, and then it'll sort of go click, click, and it'll jump up to, and you're meant to be on the one below. And I'm not sure quite why that is. Yeah, I found that as well. I did. But I found that um, the key, if you just use the keyboard commands, generally speaking, that was easy, to, easy enough to avoid. You just had to get used to it. But it, it is a frustration point because obviously we're more familiar on the Commodore 64 with controlling things with a joystick than we would be with a keyboard as well, to some extent. So once you've got used to the keyboards and everything else, between the command, and cent- command um, information center view, giving you that kind of larger, larger overview with map controls, the zoom in, the control of destination, everything else, by the way, um, you've also got, you know, different speeds for this as well. So like in PHM Pegasus, you can actually control the time of things. So you don't you know, it's not going to take an actual six days to travel across the ocean. You can speed things up a bit. And you've got alerts in here as well and fleet controls. The bridge view allows you to control the ship's weapons and battles. So you've got it, the full control of your fleet and you can select fleet areas. You can select groups of ships and all the rest of it. And you've actually got a really nice strategy game right at your fingertips here. The battles also play out in a very similar way to Pitch and Pegasus. In fact, let's just say it's borrowing the same engine essentially behind the scenes here. But um, only this time, I felt that the enemy vessels are a lot more varied and they're actually a lot more difficult than they were in PHM, PHM Pegasus. I think if you can, if I felt that the AI, such as you would describe it as AI in this, has actually had a bit of a kicker out. They've actually sort of kicked up the ante a little bit. The ship's and the enemy captains you're facing felt a bit smarter. And so and when you play out some of the more advanced scenarios, you really see that because they, they split their fleets into a several different um, directions and they'll try and out, they'll flank you and they'll attack you with one set of fleet while the other one's going around. It's it's quite nice how it works in that respect. Um, and of course, the main point being you've got to survive the scenario, complete it and also come back, come back with some ships, damn it. Don't just come back, you know, <laughs> um, with, with one simple or a half sunken ship. Or worse still, like the end of Jaws, which is you and the uh, uh, first mate peddling on some barrels <laughs> on a plank. <laughs> well, at least we at least we made it. <laughs> it's not going to work out. Court so martial awaits. It is. 
So I felt, with all that said, this is a good game. I think they've learned valuable lessons from PHM Pegasus and they took them all into account. I thought the scenarios of a bit of their time, tonally, but they're varied enough and they allow loads of modes of play here because you can really take to these games how you want. You can just go straight to the enemies. You can wait for them to come to you. Um, there's a whole bunch of ways to play this in parameters and all of those can be done. Um, I think you because you set the parameters of your fleet as well and how you control them, I think there's a whole bunch of ways you can tackle the scenarios again and again and again. You could try different ships, you could try different combinations, you could try different fleet combinations. I think that's real, you know, strategic fodder for those that really like that kind of multi-angled approach to these kind of games. Really good that it does that. Um, I think um, the way you control things is actually a bit better in terms of the construction of it. The joystick sluggishness aside, I think the actual construction of things is quite nice. And there's a solid immediacy to this game. It's a clever mixture of, of simulation and battles, and I think it works. You've got to be into this kind of stuff a little bit, but it does work. As I said before, the AI has certainly had a bit of a polish here, and the more difficult scenarios really do get panic-stricken and quite really quite challenging, especially when you start to lose your fleet when things start to go wrong. It's really, really is quite disconcerting when you find that one of your prized, your second, you know, your second group flagship has just been sunk by a submarine, and that submarine's disappeared, and you're like, oh damn it! it you do start to feel a bit panic, and you're like, do I run away? What do we do? It's really good like that. Um, so it's a game of careful strategy in some ways, uh, and I feel it's got an unpredictability which makes it feel quite nice. Um, the radar and the targeting works better as well, and I think because they've retained the time shift feature, you're not just sailing for hours on end and not actually experiencing any battles. You can get pretty much into a battle if you want to do it that way really quickly. Um, and don't forget, of course, that the enemies, if you do wait around, the enemies will come for you in this and they prevent depending on the scenario but if they feel you know if you're in the way or they've got you're in the you're in a part of the objective is to try and stop them and they've got to get past you they will do what it takes to get past you and it's really nice like that so i liked it obviously i found it um i found this i got really quite into it quite quickly i liked phm pegasus though so it was a bit of a natural follow-on for me and i was quickly into this um I think as much as there are more controls, they are a bit simplified. And I think that weird dual control thing that we had is lost here, which is a benefit to this game because it feels much more solid because of that. It could be argued that they still look a bit samey and that missions still have a similar problem to PHM Pegasus, which was that eventually you are just sailing a dot around and scan, scanning the horizon line and, the, and, and all and that stuff. But if you're into that kind of thing, if you're going to play the kind of games that present that kind of thing, this is kind of the way you'd want to do it. This is the kind of game that does it well. So, you know, this is the leaderboard of the fleet control strategy games, really, um, because it's a little bit better than Destroyer in that way. You know, you can, you're controlling the entire fleet, which is a nice, really nice touch. It's 96%, not a gold medal. I'm not sure why that is the case, but okay, whatever. Um, I thought this played really well, nicely constructed and a really well-realized game and worth the time it takes to get into it. Remember, you've got to like kind of strike fleet type games and fleet games, but if you do... I need to go out here. What about you? Yeah, kind of similar. It's time, you know, it's time to get wet again. Is what I've written as a sequel to PHM Pegasus Hove's interview, and this is one meaty upgrade. There's a lot more going on here, isn't there? Instead of just one ship, how does controlling an entire fleet, as there you is. said, real world hotspots sound to you? Well, to me, it sounds bloody daunting. Um, I could barely control Pegasus, and now with an entire fleet at command, I know right from the get go, this game's not for me. It's just not. I tried it, I played it, but you know, and that's fine. Some games are just not. What I can say though is that there's a lot of clever stuff here, and it's a you know it's a real whopper of a proposition for those who engage with it. There's a lot to lot to get you get your hands on in this game. I like switching the views, the whole thing. I, I just, when, when I first started, I just sent my helicopters off. I just went go, like, <laughs> go, my pretties, I don't fly, know my pretties. <laughs> yeah, it's literally. Yeah, it's like continue the research. Um, <laughs> they just went, and I, but I like being able to sort of switch between them and sort of see where they were, even though I had yeah. no idea where they were going. Um, I thought I'm not going to make a good. Uh, just, just go where, where to? Just 
you know, where, you imagine where, the ship's crew going, does he know what he's doing? <laughs> where, wherever your heart leads you, just follow your heart. <laughs> he's just sent Terry to the Straits of Gibraltar. He's going to run out of fuel before he gets there. Absolutely. Crazy captain, so, so switching the views and watching the other things, that's still quite nice. I thought it was, like you said, it feels a little mass, uh, faster, more responsive than PHM Pegasus, but sometimes a little over-responsive, like you're flicking yeah, around a yeah, bit. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. But okay, but like you said, using the keys can, get, can sort of bypass a lot of that. There's definitely some grain to the code here as well. It just feels tighter and faster and a bit smoother and a bit they've looked at what was worked in Pegasus and just how can we refine that and this feels like a massively refined uh, version of that and, and obviously yeah, um, you know hugely increased scope as well uh, the visuals are good I thought well, we liked them for Pegasus and what they are I like the sort of listing the sort of rocking of the boat as it moves from side to side it's quite it's quite a nice effect I think we like that then the big old chunky manual you know presentation wise they've got a chunky manual keyboard overlay you know what's not to like for 8-bit re- uh, is this a real time strategy game I think you could call it that because it's because it's real time, real, isn't it? I mean, you can speed time up, but it's you know it's all going on at once. Yeah, yeah you don't like it's not turn based. You've got to be so. Oh, it's definitely a real, tradition, isn't it? Because it all happens. There's no pausing the game. It just no keeps exactly on going. For, for those you know fans of the eight bit real time strategy games. This is manner from heaven. It really is. It's not for me though. I get that the genre has never really hooked me, but I can appreciate its technical achievements. Even if I know full well, there's no way I'd get much enjoyment out of this. And I, I, and I, I didn't. It's, it is what it is. We all like what we like. Yeah, each to their own. Each to yeah. Their own. Strange, strange didn't get a gold medal. I always think ninety six percent is a little churlish. It's almost like yeah. oh, so so close. One <laughs> percent off. Oh. But no, we, I'm sure we saw some the other week. They got 96 and got a gold medal, didn't we? We, did, we commented on it. Can't tell you what it was, but we I, commented. I on can't it. remember either. But maybe I don't one know. of the Macros games, maybe. I think it I might know. have been. Yeah, maybe it's the. Um, was it Stealth Fighter? Might have been, yeah, I think it was actually. It might have been that, but I, I don't know. But, but if, if that got a gold medal, I think this should have really as well. I mean, the only thing I could think that didn't is just like maybe maybe it's lack of broader appeal that stopped it from getting mm-hmm. one. Yeah. It's in, Sizzlers are always about if you really like this, you're, you're gonna love this. Gold medals are everyone should play this, and you're gonna get something out of it. And maybe that's yeah, yeah. But then yeah, again, maybe. I would argue that's the same with Project Stealth Fire because you know you're only gonna like those kind of games if you like you know triangles moving slowly in the air. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Which, you need to really like your triangles for that one. It's a song, isn't it? Triangles moving slowly in the air. It's a song about that song. I think, anyway. it, I think it must be. <laughs> what, anyway, what do I know? It's impressive, this. Impressive stuff. And as you've rightly said, certainly the best one of these watery sims we've looked at so far um, in, in, in light of what we've we seen now. Defender, Sub-Battle Simulator, Hunt Red October, this. There's probably been others, but a Pegasus. You know, there's been there was that you know some crappy arcadey ones, but yeah, this was this was good, just not for me, which is fine. No, that's fair, that's fair. But I can certainly appreciate what it was doing. So there we go, Strike Fleet. I, th- we, I think, I think, I think, really, it should have been a gold medal. There's enough, mm. there's enough depth and quality here, and enough new stuff. And maybe it's that as well. Maybe it's because it's just the sort of evolution of, of uh, Pegasus. Maybe if this had landed without that, and I think it doesn't have a lot of the additional game graphics and depth in the manual i think you know had they put the time and effort to add an extra 100 pages to the manual true and some of the some of the wider graphics you get a lot of that kind of stuff there is a little bit of that in this but it's not certainly not as much as there is in some some of the macros games no Um, that's true but then they're all like lost as soon as you actually get to the game aren't they so yes yes they are you know that's what it is that's what it is whereas this actually has the chops in the game itself compared to them there we go right that's strike fleet we did like it we did like it it's a good game um, if you're into this sort of thing, then really go check it out because it still stands up, I think. There you go. That was Strike Fleet. That's our first one. So let's move into our second game of the week. And this one is it's another sequel. 
So like Strike Fleet was, you know, sequel to PH and Pegasus, this is Night Games 2. Mm. Uh, yeah, so Night Games 2. Having worked your way through all eight forms of combat and archery in Night Games, it's from English software again, isn't it? Uh, you're probably expecting more of the same from Night Games 2. Were you expecting more of the same, Graham? I mean, it's called Night yes, Games 2. Yes, I bloody well was. Well, good. I mean, yeah, but you'd be wrong. Very wrong. For this is oh, Night no. Games 2, Space Trilogy. And yeah. there's little to no resemblance to the first game at all, <laughs> except there are some knights to pick up in the first part. There's some combat in the third part. It's like, what is this? This is to rank as one of the oddest sequels I have ever played, and it's lack of connections to the first one. Um, it was once again coded by John Williams, with graphics by John Williams and Steve Pickford, and music is by Wally Bebben, an old Wally. Uh, this is set in the year 3002, and knights still have combat, only now it is slightly different. This is according to the inlay. Combat robots have replaced battling axemen and lasers and now used instead of bows and arrows. Yet the aim is the same, to win the tournament and avoid the humiliation of defeat. Yeah, okay, okay. This game is made for three different games, though, each with different levels and gameplay. So we'll start with mode one, which is called Combat Robot. In this stage, you must control Robbie the Robot as he navigates the bi-directional scrolling levels in order to collect the Lost Knights and Aliens from each level and return them back to home base. If that sounds familiar, that's because it's Drop Zone. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> that's his Drop Zone. There's no combat here. There's no knights. There's no. It's not, it's not night games. It's, it's, what? It's just Drop Zone-style gameplay. The UI at the bottom of the screen tells you how many knights or objects. You've got to collect knights and aliens and weird stuff. There are still to collect on the present stage, how many lives you have left, which direction to go, your shield strength, so on and so on. Collecting all the targets on the first level sees you back into the menu screen. So when these games start, they sort of open up with a menu. Now, to progress through this game, you've got to complete the first combat robot game. Then you've got to complete the second one, and then that allows you access to the third one. With each completing each one, will get you a password where you can just enter that and go straight to this mode. But the second and third parts of the game are locked off until you've completed first one and the third one is com- you know locked up until you complete the second one strange this is a strange progression series considering it's night games where you can just fight in any combat strange. one you wanted really weird i don't know what the hell the thinking was behind this so when you get to this menu uh, uh this menu screen you- you've got you've got this thing at the top the reserve bank um, which uh, that increases each level, and you can convert that into energy. And you have to fill up this energy bar in order to pass the level. That's how it kind of works. So you have to complete and keep completing these these drop zone style levels. They get harder and harder with each one because they get more and more trickier to sort of navigate. There's more enemies to shoot. You 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 can get you uh, lose health and enemy energy from con- uh, contact with the earth and things like that. So it's quite tricky to build up this energy bar, this reason, you know, this energy bar to sort of fill it up and then get access to the second one. Um, if you do do that, um, you get to the second uh, game, I guess we'd call it. It's, this is called In Orbit. So here we start with a left to right blaster above a planet. So you're like a little sort of spacecraft and it's like a finite, not very wide sort of scrolling, scrolling sort of screen, sort of scrolls about a screen to the left and maybe another screen to the right. It's not very wide um, and it doesn't loop around. So it's not Defender-like. It's just sort of, it's sort of little section you've got to fly around in. You just have to shoot stuff. It, it's just enemies just appear and stuff, and, the, in, and then they come. So there are some smart bombs as well to detonate, and essentially you've just got to stave off waves of enemies coming in. And do that, and the second stage sees you, uh, the view changes from the rear of your craft um, and sees you launching missiles um, at approaching enemies. Do that, do enough of them, kill enough of them. You get to shoot aliens in the loading bay of the space station. Again, the aim here is to convert your reserve tank, which you accumulate during each level, each mini sort of game within each level within the mini game, to energy. And once done, you get access to the final tournament. This section is the most like the original game. 
to some degree. He's got three sci-fi variants of combat awaiting you. These are jet jousting, lightsabers, and finally photon chain. All three of these are very similar and follow the same rules as night games combat section. Hits on the enemy reduce their energy, so they've got until it hits zero and they lose one of their shields. So you can take eight hits. There's eight, I think it's like I think in the other one it was like shield, mini shields, and then you lost a big shield, didn't you? In the first game, something like that. In this one, I can't. Yeah, yeah. It's a similar sort of thing. So you can take eight hits. You've got eight main shields, and each shield has an has a sort of eight hits. So you can take something like about sixty four hits before it's game over. You got to hit each other, and that's it. So you just got to wear each other down. And the one who loses all their shields, or the main shields first, loses, and the one who's still got some left is the victor. You can play all three of these games. They all play exactly the same. You can play all three of these games individually or all of them in a tournament. They're all about, they're all very similar as well. Jet jousting, lightsabers, and finally float. Nothing really changes in them. You're just floating around the screen after each other, hitting each other with a different thing. Jet jousting, you're sort of poking at each other with a lance. Lightsabers, you're poking at each other with a lightsaber. And photon chain, you with a sort of some kind of weird sci fi mace on a on a swingy thing it's like a, a ball and chain so no, but nothing really changes there's some background changes but the gameplay is pretty much the same the graphics throughout all the games are what i would describe as chunky and simplistic um like in any of the solid sprite work and nice backdrop to the original everything's really bright and each level seems very unconnected to the last one there's no real explanation of why the first two game modes are even in this game as they seem to bear no real relation to the themes of night games they're sci-fi shooters and whether some overarching narrative to link them together is anyone's guess because it doesn't give tell you that in the in the uh, in the blurb it's in the in the game case the first game combat robots is a dull drop zone variant it's got annoying enemies some of which you cannot kill and only stun stun sorry and dull controls the second level of the stage is particularly annoying in that contact with the floor drains your energy but certain creatures you have to pick up are on the floor and the floating nature of the controls means that whilst you are trying to pick them up you're constantly losing energy annoying painful the second game is some snappy shooter controls yeah okay and the blasting is fast and you can shoot more than one bullet on screen so that's always nice to see but it all seems to serve no real purpose i don't know what what's what's it all about aliens keep appearing until you're suddenly told you passed the level i couldn't discern why just seemed to do it the same on the second stage of this the final tournament section is very poor in comparison to the first game with floaty droids meandering around the screen flailing at each other whilst random sprites float by this game is inexplicable it feels like some pseudo sequel to oink which john williams also did um and the variety of different stages feels more in line with that mm. game than it does night games remember oink was the one where you had the uh you had the sort of top down sort of blaster you had the sort of fly superman one and that and the breakout clone didn't you so it's three very different types of games that you kind of played around in this feels very similar to that the games feels like something that would have fitted better into that game than they do here and i wonder if there are some unused modes from that game that have been made uh, made their way into this or whether this was going to be some kind of sequel to oink but maybe oink fell by the wayside the magazine didn't go and it didn't happen and so they said oh we'll just change it into night games too and just set it in the future so i don't know this feels weird it doesn't feel like a proper sequel i don't understand the, the logic behind this at all it, i mean it's competently made the coding is good everything works and there's some decent wally bebbin tunes at times but it all just feels so random and not all what i wanted from a night game sequel which was when i think about it probably just more of the same only technically better there's loads i just wanted more night games i wanted more flailing around with knights with swords and hammers and maces and, and things like that why would you not that's all i actually wanted i don't know why why this has gone for this bizarre sci-fi route i've got just no idea but i, I reckon oink which is the game in the middle had something to do with it so uh, did i enjoy this not really it's because i don't think it's particularly good any any that all of the mini games and the games themselves are just a bit meh the fighting in the third one is really poor um in comparison to the sort of i know the first one was a bit of a whackathon and it was thinking but it was it was enjoyable still there was something enjoyable about night games this loses all of that 
and then replaces some of the things with weird games, which I don't want in a night games game. Put them in Oink or in a sequel to Oink or something else called Space Trilogy, whatever. Okay, I'd be more sort of willing to put in a night game sequel. No, this is not what I wanted. Strangest sequel I've ever played, I think, ever. You know, and I've been on Safari. What about you, Graham? <laughs> well, it's a bit confusing, this, isn't it? Really? I mean, what is it exactly? I mean, I uh, okay, look, I I didn't expect to be playing some kind of Defender Drop Zone shoot up variant at all when it said the words Night Games 2. And I don't think anyone else in the known universe would have either. No. Um, I think it's a bit weird that. Feels maybe like they're cashing in completely on the success of one game, knowing the second one is not nearly as good or as enriching as an experience or whatever. Um, so, because if you just went to that on the shelf and thought, oh, Night Games 2, that must be like Night Games. You would, because it's called Night Games 2. Of course you would, yes, exactly. So the whole thing plays out to me as if it was something else, and then it was shifted to Night Games 2, and they just bolted in a load of nightish type stuff make it sort of fit the bill yeah even doesn't picking really up those nights work. on the drop zone level feels weird it doesn't doesn't work i think this i don't think this has anything to do with night games too for a long time and then they just thought oh, we better put some nights in it or people are going to think it's not night's game nothing to do with them which it isn't really anyway i don't see the relationship to night games just no. putting nights in it even if they're space nights flying around with you know space lances doesn't make it anything to do with night games at all. There's no, there was no rationale for this. So I don't, I mean, I don't understand really why they didn't just make more of the stuff that made night games good. I mean, that would be the logical choice for me. Just, you know, you've got, you know, make this other night related things or make it sort of a, a bit like the championship in something like um, Defender of the Crown, where you have to rise the ranks of being a knight to the... Yeah, you know, exactly. I don't yeah. know. Just there's like there's so many ways you could take the, take a night games too. It didn't have to launch into space. I think is the real, no, you know, really didn't. meat and two veg of that. So I mean, I suppose what you can say is the graphics that are here are bright and interesting in the sense that they are a, essentially a space game with bits of night stuff in. And it's just I don't wholly get the link to knights of old and sort of in that medieval stuff. I don't get it. I don't get why this game really persists in this way. If you want to make a shoot, make one. Um, just don't bolt some ideas together and then loosely try and make it work because this doesn't work at all. I didn't like really like anything about it. I think if this was anything challenging, it was to challenging my expectations of what a sequel to a game called Night Games would be. It certainly did that. Um, so 61% from Zap. I think that I actually think that's high. I think this is this would be 61% for a game that's should be called something else. Um, but it's full price, so nah. No, I, I didn't like it. It surprised me because I really thought I would. Had it been Night Games two. Um, the, and my expectations of what that might have been probably would have liked that if it had just been yeah. slugging it out with different weapons and stuff and put a bit of a you know upgrade tree in there or something like that but yeah. without that and this weird I mean playing it was it was just weird to play as soon as it started I'm like what am I doing why yes. am I flying around on, on a rescuing night in this weird spaceship thing don't what, know why why is that happening why am I not <laughs> standing with a mace clubbing somebody with a sword yeah anyway absolutely no, no unsatisfactory this so night games poo they have said it <laughs> you have i'm glad you did i didn't want to but i'm glad you did i'm there glad you go. i'm glad i did as well i did there we go night games too night games poo what a shame i really like night games <laughs> just not yeah. this well not this, this is not i don't i don't think this is you can actually officially call this a sequel just think this is maybe somebody put the wrong game in the wrong box or something. I don't know, but I think you'd be hard pushed to call this a sequel. Can you imagine if they did this with other games? Can you imagine if you played IK, you got IK plus and it was like, it was suddenly whiz ball. Yeah, it's what I mean. It's the stupid logic as that, isn't it? You were like, but, and then when you jumped out the ball, you were, you were a, uh, you know, you were a guy, you were a karate guy. You're like, well, you're a karate guy. It's linked. <laughs> no, it ain't. It's nothing to do with it. No, 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 you can't. It's, just, it's not, and it's not games either. I get the idea of the multi-compendium thing, but that wasn't the games part. The night games were games that knights of the realm did. 
Yeah. As in like a tourney tournament, not random games that may, you know, can feature knights. You know, let's play Space Command with knights in it. No, well, that's not what we meant. I think <laughs> the, I think maybe there was a conversation that happened that somebody got the wrong end of the stick. And six months later, I went, well, you stuck with it now. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's weird. It's very weird. But there you night go. Games poo. Yeah, we don't like night games too, just because it's disappointing and it's not very good. It's not about knights. It's not about knights, no, no. No. In days of Plus, old. Just as an aside, a complete aside, knights in shining armor wouldn't fare so well in space. Anyway. Just, <laughs> no, it just wouldn't. Thought, just no, a one thought, would. Just a no matter what you're in, no one fares no, well in space. No, no. So if, you're in a, if you're in a space suit of some kind, astronaut suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you know, just going up into space and jumping out of a spaceship with a suit of armor on, you ain't going to live long. No. But having <laughs> seen things like Defender of the Crown, like you said, like you've got jousting, there's castle raiding, there's castle fighting, yeah. all that kind of stuff that could have been done. They could have done like combat with where you got to pick a weapon so you could have been mace against sword, as you said. There's loads of different yeah. ways that they could have done this Would have been yeah. and still still been a worthy sequel. And there's loads of mileage in uh, fiddledy-diddledy-la-di-da, you know, hey-nonny-nonny music to go with that. I mean, that's the, the Dave Whitaker in for that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. He'd be all over it, like a rash, a three-second yeah. rash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid it's a hey-nonny-no for this game. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Lavender's blah. Right, there yeah, we go. No. That's Night's Poo. Night games, poo. Let's move along. Um, and just to round off this this half of the this part of the uh, podcast, we've got another sequel. It's sequel tastic. We're into the realm of sequels. Graham, Sky Fox Two, the the official Sky Fox Two, not the one we thought was Sky Fox Two <laughs> uh, a while back. So tell us about Sky Fox Two. Sky Fox Two: The Cygnus Conflict is mm-hmm. from Electronic Arts. It was copyright Dynamics. I think they're the developers, designers. I don't know. Created by Kevin Ryan, Damon Sly, and Jeff Tunnel. They were also responsible for Arctic Fox. However, Damon Sly and Jeff Tunnel are pivotal names in the later and highly successful games of Sierra Online. Um, so oh. if you ever want to look at the load of where, where, where it led them from, this kind of thing. They became masters of strategy at Sierra Online and did loads of cool stuff. And there's an entire strand of interesting stuff. The music here in this is by Dave Warhol. No relation to Andy Warhol, as far as I'm aware. Maybe it is. I don't know that for sure. Oh, that's a shame. So anyway, after an uninteresting and unskippable title screen, to, to some extent, just sort of set the pace, I suppose, we are presented with our conflict summary. This is from the instructions. Effective immediately, Adrian. That's not in the instructions. I'm just adding that for context. <laughs> All Federation warp warriors are on condition alert. Um, I don't know what that condition is, just condition alert. (laughs) Intelligent reports that a xenomorph, a bug hunt, um, uprising is in progress. We can only assume that their ultimate goal is the conquest of the Terran Federation, since all attempts to negotiate with them have thus far failed. I'm getting a proper Cylon vibe. If you recall your academy lessons, the Xenomorphs attempted to subjugate the Federation on another occasion with unprovoked attacks on colonies. Their defeat was due in a large part, not in a large part, because of the amazing Skyfox warplane. Once we had driven them from our colonies, we contained them in Cygnus, their home star system. Now it seems they want once again to spread terror and tyranny across the galaxy. To meet this new threat, Federation engineers and scientists have developed, get ready for this, the Skyfox 2 warp <laughs> fighter. <laughs> 
It's like, no. We I... need to call it something. Uh, <laughs> yeah. How about Sky Fox 2? That's terrible. Oh, well, I need to go to lunch. It'll do. Yeah, <laughs> I'll do just then. put it down. Put it down at the top of the sheet. Um, every Federation warp warrior has been issued a Sky Fox 2. Obviously, they're quite quick to make. In order to meet and deal with each Cygnus conflict as it arises, your mission in the Cygnus system, acquaint yourself with your Sky Fox 2 warp fighter. Use the Sky Fox 2 and your experience as one of our finest warp warriors to keep the Xenomorph threat contained in the Cygnus constellation and protect all Federation interests there. Godspeed, warp warrior. I'd never thought I'd get to say that. It's quite exciting. <laughs> um, anyway, right. So you get the idea of it. So Xenomorphs have returned um, after you beat him last time, and now you've got to beat him again. Could have just said it like that, could I? Did you could have, yeah, yeah. Well. That saved a lot uh, of time. <laughs> this time you start the game, you've got to select from a whole gang of missions, a whole bunch of missions. They're real handy items, these. <laughs> um, so you've got um, a list which is, includes fancy titles such as Xenomorph Uprising, Incoming, Intruder Alert, Guardian, Grizzly Encounter, not a bear, Diplomatic Immunity. That made me laugh out loud, by so the way. So it did me too as well. <laughs> <laughs> Diplomatic. War, Spy versus Xenomorphs. They didn't reach far for that one. Xenomorph Juggernaut and the Boondock Expedition. And something called Other Data Disc, which just made my version of this game crash. So I'm guessing that there's another data disc you can load more missions in. So those are the missions I had access to. There may be more, I don't know. Handily, each level is described. So you sort of, you can go through like a little, you can scroll through them and see what each one is. I'm not going to go through every single one of these because they all principally actually kind of turn out the same. But um, the final space would be the same. (laughs) (laughs) So you can give each one as a difficulty level and a risk rating and then details of what what the dealie is, what you've got to do. Most of the early missions have a very similar flavor. Destroy the thing that is aiming for something and attacking them. That's kind of most of the main thing. They yeah. might dress it in different language, but that's kind of what the missions are. Blow stuff up. Um, and there's a quite a good range of those. And the later missions, which are obviously more difficult and risky, have you escorting ambassador ships looking for mythical star bases and blowing more stuff up <laughs> in the process. Not that. <laughs> You can get, say, get missions from another data disc. I don't know what's on that. Probably, I don't know. It's probably some the Biderbeck affair. I don't know. Something like that. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. I don't know what's on there. Um, didn't work on my version. As well Midsummer, as the missions, can, murders. <laughs> as well as the missions, you can also browse the Skyfox spaceship specifications for some interesting, if completely pointless, facts about the Skyfox yeah. too. For example, Adrian, <laughs> did you know that the Skyfox, codenamed LMR61786-10362, features spectral deflector and neutron disruptors, as well as pulse bombs and antimatter mines? I did, because I, I looked at the same screen. Exactly, yeah. So now you know that. It doesn't help you in any way. It's just Not window dressing. So, okay. Once you've selected your mission <laughs> and you've gone through that, you go through a nice launch sequence, the classic launch sequence, I think, you know, you know, Sort of stripy lines. I don't know why, just stripy lines. Yeah, stripy lines in a square. Stripy lines at the top and bottom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you're going to go woo into space, and you are flung into space piloting your Skyfox 2. Pretty exciting. Yeah. And the view as you play is from inside the cockpit in what must now be described as the standard Space Fighter default cockpit view. Um, so you've got the main window at the top, and there is like sort of struts on this one, which we liked about a helicopter game that I can't remember the name of, but there is kind of that. Yeah, kind was of, it Tomahawk? The cockpit actually looks quite nice. Yeah. The graphics actually look quite nice on this. So the main view of this obviously is at the top. At the bottom, left to right, you have weapons, ordnance, radar, energy shields, and damage across the bottom there. Your radar is the classic radar. So, you know, ship in the middle, spinny, spinny, and lots of dots flying at you and stuff like that. And you can sort of navigate your way to the dots in a way. There's also a load of keyboard commands here as well. Things like one, zero, uh, one to, to I think nine of the speed of your ship. And, you know, you've got keyboards and the keyboards are listed. The keyboard commands aren't massive amounts of them, but they are listed in the instructions. So 
you'd quickly get used to knowing what you have to do. Essentially, when you get to the game, after all of that, you're flying around shooting at stuff. I mean, and that's quite good. And in, and in all fairness, this moves around pretty fast. It does. It's not vector-based. Thank God it's not vector-based. Um, now, it is sprite-based. And they sprites are actually quite nice. They are, when they get close up, a little on the blocky side. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll let that go. But it isn't just three stages of animation from distant to middle ground to in your face. Um, they actually feel like you zoom up on them in this. There is yeah. a bit of zoomage. Yeah, you're not. And that's you're not, quite nice. You're not fighting Bertie Bassett in space. No, and it feels like you're flying around in space at a good speed in this. So it's not jerky, juddery, vectory nonsense. This feels actually when you launch into space and you fly out at ships. There's stuff to attack pretty much straight away. Or there was in the mission I played, mm-hmm. and I was straight into it. I was flying about. That was always the nice thing about Skyfox is that you were straight into the action. Um, there wasn't a lot of faffing about endlessly traversing from place to place and. That actually, ironically, is one of the problems that we'll come to about this. But, you know, when the action's there, it's fast, it's paced, your controls are really, really slick, your ship controls nicely and nimbly, you know, it's got a good feel to it. It reminded me of the way the combat in Elite worked if Elite wasn't based on vectors and really boring. Um, (laughs) So it reminded me of that. If this, you know, it reminded me, I suppose, of the later elite games that came out a bit not obviously not the really fancy 3d ones later on but you know the ones that came out a bit later which had a little bit of filled 3d and this is obviously you know some clever sprite scaling going on but it actually works to its advantage it feels 3d even in spite of that especially because you've got obviously a star field you're flying through Mm. so that's the mainstay of this game fly around and try and shoot stuff follow the mission you know do what you've got to do you know and navigate around it that doing all of that is easier done in this game and i found there was some weird quirks for example, if you literally slow down your ship to zero and stop, you could just be in space <laughs> rotating and all the enemy ships would just come to you and then sometimes they just sit in front of you and they don't move. Yeah. So you're supposed to just like, a, it's like you're just stuck in space. It's like you're just like looking at each other, cockpit to cockpit, <laughs> mono to xenomorph going, right, you're going down. You can't actually shoot them because they're too low for your target. You need to go up. And in order to move, you actually have to be going at speed, which is just quite, it was a quite a funny quirk. I just spent ages just staring down some xenomorphs <laughs> in kind of a real you know, aggressive way. And also there's, there's, because there are parts where you're flying through meteor storms and there's quite a lot of that. A lot of meteors in space, turns out. And you Loads. do tend to go through a lot of that. Loads. Which is fine, but it, parts where you're sort of looking for things to do, it's like, oh, another me- there we go, another meteor. So, so see, we end up sort of doing a lot of that which yeah. is something that I don't think Skyfox suffered from greatly, but this one does a little bit more. And I think that's the problem that you've identified with space games, which is space is massive. <laughs> and so, and like we said, you know, when you're in a space, it's a, it's a big old place up there, you know, <laughs> so, you know, you can't just fill that space with rocks, which is what they've done in this game, you know, give it other stuff to do. Because <laughs> then that's called um, the world. You might as well be on Earth. <laughs> exactly. So there is a little bit of that, you know, but all that said, it's, I thought this is, is actually pretty good. The graphics here work at a really good rate, and it feels nice to complete a mission when you do. You get kind of a summary when you do, like an evaluation. Those are, there's nice touches to this. It does feel like a nice space shootery game. And the games, the games like this later on on the Amiga and then further down the line into PC world and stuff like that, Wing Commander and stuff like that have hinted yeah. this kind of thing about them. Yeah, Wing Commander, someone I hear. So I think there's some early, very early proto stuff going on there, which I'm, I, don't, I haven't played a lot of those, so I'll defer to your experience with that. But I, that was something I just became aware of, is that this game feels a little bit ahead of its time. There are payoffs for having things in this. So game set in space means you get a bit of empty space. No shit, because space is massive and empty. Then you also get a bit of sameness. So some of the enemy types, the xenomorphs, 
they obviously designed one spaceship and made a lot of them. So, um, so, you, so you do fight a lot of similar looking things. All right, fair enough. That's you know that's another limitation. And I think really the other limitation here is that the AI logic is a bit stupid. The xenomorphs, might, there might be a lot of them, but they're not what you'd call the most intelligent enemies you've ever fought against in a game. So they just kind of flit about really and get in the way. Loads of them just flew directly into my line of fire. They weren't trying to evade. They were just rubbish at piloting things. And I'm not <laughs> sure. I'm, I'm no brilliant like Skyfox pilot. I mean, I know I'm a what do they call them? An astronaut, super astronaut, whatever they call them in this game. I can't remember what the name of them was. Warp, warp uh, warrior, wasn't it? Well, I'm not, I, I might be a warp warrior, but I'm not what you call the classic, traditional, brilliant one. But I, by almost by accident, I shot about 20 of their ships down just because they were just kind of there and right in front of me and didn't take a lot to really target them. But, okay, simple enough game to get into. Nice graphics, good presentation overall. It works, there's no bugs. There is a little bit of loading, but I didn't find that massively problematic. I can't speak for it being on a real hardware, but it didn't feel like there was lots of extensive loading. And we've had some games where there has been a lot of that, and it's just been blank spaces for a long time. This was quite quick. I think, like I said, my main criticism really here is that all the missions kind of end up the same, really, behind the scenes. No matter what what they dress it up as, you end up, you know, escort the ambassador and find the hidden space, you know, spaceship of blah, blah, blah. Oh, and by the way, just blow anything up along the way that you find. Um, And that's kind of most of the missions, really. But there is a space fighting game in here. You can do dog fights, albeit that the dogs you're fighting are really stupid. Labradors, really. Uh, But it doesn't matter. They are there. It isn't juddery. It is quite fast. There's no horrible vectors. The sprite scaling is interesting and it feels like it has a pace and and it does operate in a nice scale. I quite liked it for that. And it's a nice blend of shooter come piloty game. I don't even know what genre this lands in, but I thought it's quite nice. Good successor to Skyfox 2 as well. I don't know, more of the same in space, but I kind of liked Skyfox, so it works for me. What about you? Yeah, I was kind of mind this. It's a proper sequel to Skyfox, not like that other fake sequel, Star Fox, that made me uh, nearly lose my job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but they're still, you know, but they're still going out into space like Star Fox did. Weird. And there are some good elements to this. The graphics are speedy. The 3D is good. Although the asteroids to me look like brains. <laughs> they're a bit. They look, they look like brains. They look the sa- they're all the same as well. It's like brains. a world of. It's like a space of the same asteroid. All the same. The sound is a bit basic. Yeah. Gets a bit repetitive. But it's got a very tuneful tune though on the title screen. It's very tuneful. It's like a. It's like a trying to be a proper tune rather than something we normally hear. It felt really kind of like a, with almost like a verse and a chorus. It's kind yeah, of strange. Tuning, really. Yeah, it was a bit odd. The presentation is really nice. Uh, lots of details on the opening screens that let you see all aspects of your ship, but I can't understand uh, why everything is a multi-load. Just, just those flicking from the side, of the image from the side of your ship to the front of your ship is, is a separate load. It's like, oh, for God's mm. sake, stop it. You can fit all this in memory. I know you can. <laughs> or can I you? I know. <laughs> Having seen demos and stuff and things, you can. You can fit that in memory anyway. Uh, so that loading all over the place, I thought, interrupted the flow of everything just a bit too much, just a bit too loady. There is a decent variety of missions here. It's weird how we've got uh, Strike Fleet and this in the same part, and they're both built around this sort of 10 missions, different levels, stuff building a difficulty level and stuff. And, yeah, and you've got yeah. five skill levels to attempt them. And they've also got weird, like, they've both got an, an, um, a level that, that harks back to a, uh, a film that we know, you know, Escape, for, Escape oh, to New York has, and yeah. uh, Diplomatic Immunity. So w- weird... <laughs> weird sort of um uh, weirdness mm. there but yeah this is, as i said right emissions five skill levels um so anybody that likes that kind of thing they're going to be in foxy heaven for this you know if you're into these star battlers it is like wing commander yes there's elements of wing commander there's another one i had on the dreamcast that I just dug out um, it's a game called star lancer which was made by chris roberts as well now, chris roberts i think chris roberts is the guy who's responsible for that bloody unending game that's never going to come out in a star citizen i think it's the guy so this this oh, is right. kind of elements of that it's, it's it, there are elements of all those kind of later things as you rightly said in this the only thing i would say about this 
because of the nature of the kind of game that it is, I think I would have liked it more if it was tied together uh, with a bit more story and a bit more uh, like linking one mission to the next bit more stronger. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a bit more narrative focus and sort of arc to this. So it built up like, oh, this has happened. And it sort of start, might have started low key with like, oh, something's gone wrong at this, you know, depot. And you go there and, oh, it's the yeah, Xenomorphs. Of, moon, the moon base of, you know, Clacon 6 or something. Yeah, the Xenon, Xenomorphs have, have battled it and you found them. And then there's something else. And you, 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 this could have been, you know, you, you're still just shooting stuff in space. But with a little bit more narrative thought around each mission, I think this would have tied together into a much better whole. You know, much a much more cohesive game. So a little bit more narrative glue to tie the whole thing together would have would have worked wonders on this. It would have drawn you in more than than just like you said. It's just go here, shoot stuff, blow stuff up. Like you, um, you know, you're, uh, you're escorting ambassadors and things like that. That could have all been held together with some story and just to sort of engage you more. I think. I think that's the thing that this is really lacking. As it is, though, you know, it's it's a decent enough space shoot with nice graphics, though, but. That's 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 what this is, and I just think it just needed. And I know we didn't have, you know, it's nineteen eighty eight, but we are seeing stories emerge into these kind of games. So we're seeing sort of these kind of. So we've had things like Maniac Mansion, and we know the strength of putting a story into something to hold the viewers, hold the players' attention a bit better. Um, and I think this could have easily been. T- it only needed something on the title screens on the mission briefs could have been like right we've signed this go find something out and at the end of it you get a little bit of oh we found this out okay okay but there you go it's still all right though i still didn't enjoy my time with it 67 percent, i thought was a bit harsh i thought it was uh considering this only got six yeah, percent more bit. than night games too yeah when you look at it like that is a bit so uh i'd have put this way up way more not a big review either in the magazine it's only like a thin you know slice yeah. wasn't it yeah i don't think they're really i don't either they didn't really get into this but they're all really positive about it as well when they're talking about it mm, strange weird. one but uh no this is all right better than i was expecting because you never know with these sequels but uh yeah good game skyfox 2 is all right good fun there we go that's it it's only three for this half this part we're going to go away and take a quick break and then we're going to come back uh with the singles for april 1988 so uh please stay with us and we'll be back in a mo. go back in time for a donut, AD? Of course I would. Then I could stop that bloody Brian Blood act from... Hang on, hang on. Did you say a donut? Yep, because that's what Tara does in our sponsor's book, Back in Time for a Donut, set in the land down under. She goes back in time with everything she could do just for a donut. Well, that and to stop her sister, the Prime Minister, from destroying Australia's democracy. Oh, wow. Well, fair enough then. But there's no mention of going back in time, like, to stop giant pigeons from coming about or anything like that? No, but she does want to put things right. You know, fix the past to fix the future and all that hmm so that's back in time for a donut by david hearn available at amazon or book depository also available everywhere as an audio book good lord at least she's not going back in time to make us play elite again no no dizzo no lave no dizzo no lave (laughs) lizzo to to dave it could be lizzo to dave anyway by david hearn's book it's very good yes i agree with that And we are back. We are back with the singles from April yes, 1988. What was going on in 1988? Not 1987, 1988. For the first three weeks of April, Heart by the Pet Shop Boys was at number one. Yeah. Did we have this last month? Did it go into? I think it I went last I don't week. Think didn't think it? so. I think did it went it? in the last week. 
I think it was the last week of Maybe. March. I don't in. remember anything. I don't remember talking about it. I don't even remember hearing it. Do you know? I do remember it. I mean, I um, I like. I mean, I, I like this song. I think it's one of the one of the better tracks. Interesting video. Did you watch the video? I'd never seen it before in my life. No. The video uh, is it's based on Nosferatu. So a, a Neil... silent movie. If only they'd shut their mouths and stayed silent. <laughs> Maybe. But it's based on the 1922 film Nosferatu, and it opens with uh, Tennant, Neil Tennant, and his bride, who's played by Dani- Daniela Kulich Prismich, because this film in Mokrich Castle and Chris Lowe is the chauffeur drives him up to this castle uh, they go to bed and then there's a vampire it looks like Nosferatu it's played by Ian McKellen good old oh, really? Gandalf pops up as a vampire Bilbo Bilbo <laughs> uh, suck your blood Bilbo <laughs> <laughs> the hell was that I don't know I don't oh, know. Ian McKellen Bilbo suck your blood <laughs> I am not here to suck your blood <laughs> Bilbo do not take me for a Cheap trickster. I can't remember what he says now, but it's not that. <laughs> a conjurer of cheap tricks or something, isn't it? Cheap uh, tricks, yeah. Anyway, Nosferatu seduces the bride and then and then makes off with her and Tennant stares bitterly at them from a castle window. With his broken it heart. It was. It was filmed in Slovenia. There you go. Know, so it's a weird video, but uh, I do remember seeing it. It was uh, obviously quite a bit of money if they buggered off there to, to, to uh, film it and stuff, but Ian McKellen. Very who popular, knew? though, weren't they? The old pet shop boys. They were. This was the fourth single, I think, of their second album. Frankie. Um, so there you go. And it went in straight in at number one. It was originally going to be called Heart Heartbeat, um, but the guy out of uh, Culture Club or Heartbeats or something like that, uh, okay. the guy out of Culture Club formed a band called Heartbeat or It's Heartbeat or something or other. So they went, oh, right. we're not calling it that then. Can't do that then. We'll have to call it just Heart. Anyway, there you go. For the last week of the month, it was the track Close to Your Heart, I'm sure. The theme from S Express <laughs> by S Express. Yeah. Do you know, I really liked this track back then. This is one of my favourite house tracks at the time. It's a song constructed from so many samples. It's 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 mad actually that I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's like it's like a, a lesson in IP infringements, really. I mean, I can't really what this there. Like, I mean, the list is on Wiki if you want to go and dig it out. And if you think of that song and think of a line from it, it's probably a sample from another song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I've got the hearts for you. Yeah, that's from a song called "I've Got the Hots for You," as you would <laughs> expect. And so, so many of that, you know, even down to the digger, 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 digger. That sound is from another track, and the enjoy this trip is from another track. So it's just the sampler has arrived, big style. Yeah, made massively. a career out of it. And of course, S-Express was then, you know, we liked it so much, we made a demo group called S-Express, although we dropped the E because we didn't want to think, people to think we were the sex press. Um, they, <laughs> well, we you just did, didn't you? Yeah, it was just Express. Because yeah, it, it, it was the Software Express was the official line from that. And it was better than what Gary, a friend of the podcast and a, and a member of S-Express at the time, his previous group was, I think, the Gremlins uh, or something like that. And then he sort of, he co-formed this really. And I think that was, I'm not sure. He was a huge house fan, so I imagine he really likes this track as well. It's, even I like this track. And I'm it's not good. a house it's fan. It's classic. It is a good I forget the name of the guy that did it. I've got some more details about it because we come across this twice, I think, um, in this list. So but I've got some more details somewhere about it. But anyway, for now, lots of samples. Yeah, it doesn't feel like lots of samples, though. It feels no, like a it's cohesive say, it's very track. clever. Yeah, it it's is, cleverly yeah. put together. And it's actually... I suppose one of the key takeaway things from that track, it's a very interesting fusion of disco and house going on behind the scenes with that. Um, if you mm. really think about it, because most of the half of the tracks that it sampled are from the 70s, sort of mid to late 70s. So disco era stuff. Yeah, and yeah. it's blended into a house track. And that's quite intriguing. Later down the line, way later down the line, a variation of that kind of technique is used by people like Burial and things like that to construct their tracks from 
different kinds of music in that way. Mm. And of course, the Amiga, the mainstay of Amiga music is the, the construction of music from samples as opposed to it being you know played. And, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting that this is a track built, built like that. Probably made in a tracker, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> could very well have been. I don't know. It could have been, for all I know. Uh, but yeah, good track. Anyway, that was it. That's your number one. So let's get into the singles. 3rd of April, straight in at number 28 is Armageddon It by Def Leppard. Armageddon It. Yeah. I'm really getting it. Of course he is. Another from the 1987 smash hit album, Hysteria. Mm. So many layers of guitar in this track. It's quite incredible. <laughs> Um, describing the scene in the recording studio on the final day, Barry Guitarpick Muldoon said, and I quote, then he, possibly Joe Elliott, he didn't actually specify, um, began to emit hard shell chocolate eggs from his arsehole and started <laughs> shouting for somebody called <laughs> Sherry Felter. Rancid. Rancid that. <laughs> weird. Just weird that that happened. What a weird did thing it? to have happened in the, uh, you know, the mixing of Armageddon it. Exactly. <laughs> is that how we came up with the lyrics? Is that was you know? Is that is that? <laughs> I'm getting it. <laughs> well, there's a hard shell egg on the floor. Is that yours? <laughs> Joe, you've laid an egg. egg. Chocolate. Oh, let's say uh, the, the key word here is you know uh, allegedly. We don't know that uh, Barry Guitar Pick Muldoon and who he was referring to, but yeah, it could have been. It could have been any of the leopards. That could have been anyone's egg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The deaf one. The blind one. <laughs> <laughs> the one, the one who can't taste the candlestick maker one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, the, the, what do they call someone who can't smell or taste? Uh, um, podcast friend Gary. <laughs> podcast friend Gary. Uh, the blind one, the deaf one. The one has no. Hey, one's got no hand there. No arms. Yeah. So he can't touch. Yeah. Yes. <sighs> there's always a sense of. There's always a sense missing from a leopard song. From a from a leopard. Yeah. There is. There is. Uh, in at number 31 was I Need a Man by The Eurythmics. Yeah. Uh, weird, weird song, this. It was a bit weird. They've gone a bit weird now. <laughs> yeah. Officially, put, officially weird. Yeah. So this this feels like, a, it felt like some weird mix because, the, the, you know, the, the sort of lyrical content and the way, the, the sound of it, it's like some weird mix of Robert Palmer and Shania Twain to me. I don't know. Yeah. Well, remember in the previous Eurythmics track, I can't remember the name of it, but we said that then they'd gone off kind of on a wild tangent where... She was kind of opera singing at one point, wasn't she? And it was all a bit yeah. weird. But when you said a weird mix of Robert Palmer and Shania Twain, did you mean a song blend mix? Or did you mean some kind of Brundle fly <laughs> technology had blended them together into a some kind of Palm Twain, which would be kind of interesting and weird? <laughs> <laughs> no, Palm Twain. <laughs> <laughs> you said Robert Palmer and Shania Twain is the Palm Twain. What's that on your hand? It's the Palm Twain. It's really small. It's a little Twain. It goes choo choo. <laughs> My Palm Twain. <laughs> don't mess with Brundle Technologies. That's all I'm no, saying. No. Bad meant- things happen when people mess with that. It never works out well. I actually meant the song, but uh, I'm all I'm enough. all open to ideas of Palm Twains. <laughs> <laughs> Because they sound ace. <laughs> it just sits in my hand. It goes choo-choo. It's a palm choo-choo. twain. My little palm twain. <laughs> no, anyway, don't mess with this. So don't, you know, just avoid Brundle technologies generally. So. Yeah, I would. They, ne- they never end well. Usually well, end up if, with... you invite, if you ever go around to his house and you invite to go enter his you know, wardrobe, say no, for Christ's sake, say no, because you ain't going to come out of that the same. You're not. It'd be a doorway he, to one of his tube things, and that's and never good. Offers to show you his uh, collection of interesting body parts and jars. Yeah. Always say no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. always say twitchy. no. Twitchy, twitchy, isn't he, Mr. Brundle? Twitchy. Very athletic, twitchy. though. Very athletic. 
he is very athletic, very strong, yeah. very strong man. Very strong, yeah. yeah. Um, and at number 32 was Sidewalking by the Jesus and Mary Chain. Um, no, did you listen know. to this? Uh, I didn't. I'd heard it before and I didn't want to hear it again. Yeah, it's a bit shoegazery to me. It reminds me of sort of mid-90s Primal Screaming away, but I read the bit on Wiki about it and it says that this track reflects the band's interest in hip-hop. <laughs> did it? <laughs> <laughs> not yeah not, the, the complete lack of knowledge and interest yeah if that's yeah. the case definitely uh nothing that i heard on this track reminded me of anything hip-hoppy it was shoegazery yeah but, did it have uh, samples of drum beats it says well, it says it samples it? a drum beat from the 1984 single roxanne's revenge by roxanne chanty as a loop okay but right, okay, one well, of playing that, the drums that, so i don't know i don't know a single sample does not a rap track make no um, no so I, th- I think. I mean, I'm just you know, I'm just putting it out there that I think they're more complicated, both lyrically and dynamically, than that. Saying, yeah, no. Uh, number thirty-six is "I Want You Back" by Banana Rama. Mm. Banana Rama. At this point, I'm I'm tiring of the Ramas of bananas now. Yeah, it's full on saw pop fluff. This. Oh, this one I is want you guff. Back. Baby, Don't do, 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 do. what I have to yeah. do. Uh, I want you back. And Pete Walkman there. You know what he was doing at that time. We know. <laughs> was, we know. We was, don't uh, even have to say it. We know. He was he was laying full on caramel eggs. Exactly. He was filling the piggy bank and not in a very productive and friendly way. <laughs> With his own spooge. Yes. Um, <laughs> Number forty two. Twisted maniac. I wasn't even thinking. I didn't want to say that. <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but it had to be said, allegedly. <laughs> Number 42, Let's All Chant by Pat and Mick. Oh, Pat and Mick. This song. Is that this Pat song. Sharp, this? It is Pat, Pat Bloody Sharp. Sharp. Yeah. I know. Yep. And I am sure that Pat Sharp was definitely the inspiration for Trevor and Simon's MC Mick McMax because he was the one that did Pot Fish, the number one fish snacking the pot, and he looks very similar to Pat Sharp. <laughs> yeah, he does. And, of course, he Probably danced was. around with Moon Monkey. I'm not saying Moon Monkey and Mick Brown are the same because, obviously, that's the Mick of Pat and Mick, um, but you know, may as well be, for all I know. Yeah, it's it's a horrible song. It's that, I didn't realise it was Let's All Chant for... Oh, let- don't even... As soon as you say I can hear it in my mind. <laughs> yeah, Let's All Chant. It was used in a couple of Amiga demos to great effect. Bogman, I think, uses it. I could be wrong. Somebody will right. correct me on that. Um, I Ian, and, I think Ian and Mick were a demo outfit, and I'm reasonably sure that Bogman had a my body, your body, everybody work. I'm sure that had it on there, the dancing to- man on the toilet sign, I think. Could uh, be wrong quite, pos- quite possibly. Apparently the royalties of this, no, the world's most annoying track, because it made people go, ooh, ooh, all the time. In The Hitman and Her later was doing that a lot. It always had this on it, and it always had that on it. Um, but apparently the royalties of this went to Capital FM's Help a London Child Charity. Um, this was, of course, produced by Stock and Waterman and, you know, Mike. Cake and Waterman. Relationship began when Brown joked on air with producer Pete Waterman about turning the DJs into pop stars. And during the recording, describing the scene in the recording studio on the final day, Barry Beatbox Muldoon said then he, possibly Pete Waterman, began to spew white chocolate coins from his <laughs> arsehole and started shouting for someone called Harry Belter. Sounds rancid. <laughs> it doesn't sound pleasant. <laughs> no, it doesn't at all. It doesn't. doesn't. White chocolate, white chocolate <laughs> coins. Yeah, oh, I don't know. You never want white chocolate <laughs> coins. Chocolate coins are the worst of all chocolates. You used to get chocolate yes, coins for Christmas in those bags. Yeah, I was always yeah. like, oh, it's, you, you've just repackaged dog chocolate. They're a faff to open. They're annoying to eat. They're not very nice chocolate. They're naff. And yeah, white chocolate, naff. by the way, is not chocolate really at all. It's milk fat. And that when you say it like that, if someone said, here's some chocolate milk fat, you'd be like, oh, no thanks. <laughs> that's what it is. That's what you're eating. Yeah, after, after the fat of the milk. Yes, exactly. And that's the album that uh, the Prodigy never released. <laughs> fat of the milk. <laughs> yeah. Should have done. It might have been it, quite interesting. Got fat of the land. And then they went, no, that's better. <laughs> Call it that. <laughs> fat of the milk. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I'll stick to that then. Uh, number 46, Every Angel by All About Eve. 
I think this is the sixth album, sixth single from the debut album. Sixth, sixth single, six Six. singles. So it's a very, it's a very strong album. As each one has been great, all good songs so far. None of them have been, you know, no bad singles here. They're all good. Number forty-six is good for them. Yeah, the highest one I think was Martha's Harbour, which I think got number ten. Yeah, which is again, that's good, good for the kind of niche you know audience that would yeah yeah absolutely go for this kind of thing so good on her good on them number 57 freedom by alice cooper <laughs> did you watch the video yes i did Just because i wrote the bill on the guitar player he's off yes. the charts is the in all fairness you're right i mean that is like 100 beef isn't it there goodness me it's I, my, I was watching that on my laptop and it actually grew armpit hair <laughs> i had to shave the damn thing after i finished watching that it's unbelievable. Oh, it's... It, bur- it burled everything. Everything looks at it burls. I actually got eye- hair on my eyes. I had to shave my eyes. <laughs> the keys on my keyboard grew. They're all overlapping <laughs> each other now. <laughs> it's like they all pumped in recognition. So they're all like, you know, it's been burled. like, yeah, but, yeah, my keyboard's been overburled. It's shocking. It's a massive burling, burling of the keyboard went on with that. Absolutely. It my mouth's heavy on the hand. It's just, Even the it's... song's burly. It's just all burl. I know. <laughs> Next door neighbours have uh, complained sort of thing because our house has has uh, increased in size two <laughs> feet in either direction. It's burled. So it's just, yeah, it's, that's what this guy, this uh, guitar player does. He burls everything. <laughs> he burls everything. <laughs> he's, a, he's a walking burl maker. <laughs> well, we've seen what happens when burl collapses. We've actually witnessed, we've, we've witnessed that. We've witnessed it. They they fall like trees, <laughs> hewn hewn at the ankles. <laughs> We saw that happen. We saw it with our with our own eyes in a rock club. We watched a burl, a man of burl, <laughs> fall. He just fell. He went <laughs> right on some stairs. He didn't. <laughs> he didn't even put his arms out to help no. him with that fall. He just put his chest chested the floor. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Oh, I just you know trying to paint that picture to anyone but me and you that were there to witness the. The toppling of the Burl Man, as it, as it came to be known. Yeah. Um, and the ground shook and the birds flew from the trees. <laughs> we could have helped him, but we were too busy laughing. Yeah. Yeah, we watched it. The, his drinks scatter to the four winds. And the, well, the ground shook. I mean, I felt the ground shake from where we were. We were a good 10, 10 15 feet away. Yeah. And that, that damaged that staircase with his Burl chest. It just smashed, <laughs> smashed it to pieces. Absolutely. I'm surprised it didn't end up in the river when you get washed away. Oh, yeah. Was that, that's the same that we, we saw that guy with those crazy like crazy cowboy boots as well where were we I don't know <laughs> we were in a rock it. club that was selling stallion condoms <laughs> where do how why you know what we'll leave that to your imagination some things are better left unknown <laughs> yeah why, why we yeah. were there and what we were doing what we why, what they were doing <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> oh dear uh, number 64 <laughs> push the beat Bauhaus by Capella. Oh, is this yeah. Capella that did the, you know, uh, you've got to let the music, got to let the music. Possibly. At first, I thought this was something to do with Bauhaus, but it's not. So no, I thought it was some kind yeah. of weird Bauhaus sort of mashup, but it's not. It's just cliche levels of house. Yeah. Ca- really Capella is. were at, around this time. They started to push loads of this kind of house that started to come out of Europe, essentially. Yeah. So we got this, and you'll you'll see loads more of it. You know, there was Clock, there was Capella. You got Two Unlimited out there somewhere, and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. Digital Watch. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of the same ilk. Now this is the cheap samplers. Just I think a cheap sampler just came out. I'm pretty sure it's one of the Akai ones. 
and all of a sudden, you know, everyone's releasing, you know, average-sounding house tracks yeah, like this. this. Certainly was number seventy, "Fragile" by Sting. Um, could be a description, I guess. Uh, this was. Yeah. If, did you listen to this? So melancholic, so moody, so boring. <laughs> Yeah, so, so, so sting, so sting. It's yeah, and yeah, yeah it's the tagline. Is that of the tag, it is the, the tagline of the marketing. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's just it's just him sat there with a the guitar, being noodly boring. It's like yeah, don't, you know, get me wrong, talented. <laughs> is that the guitarist in his band? Noodly boring. Hey, noodly, <laughs> come over here, play us some guitar. Can you make it interesting? <laughs> that that is not my way. <laughs> oh, okay, noodle, well, then. but you'll be uh, you'll be uninterested. <laughs> Maybe this is just the actual thing of this. This isn't fragile by sting, it's just fragile sting. Just a picture of him looking a bit weaker. It's not been so well recently. Absolutely. Oh, it's a picture um, of a wasp a cold. With a sting hanging out. <laughs> so this is yeah, it's just this is the song of a thousand wasps. <laughs> Nothing fragile about wasps. They're horrible. I hate them. I know you um, hate wasps. I know you do. Number 72, When Will You Make My Telephone Ring, 1988, mm. by Deacon Blue. Hopefully never, because I hate you. <laughs> yeah, I'll never call you. No, and Deacon Blue is to me sounding more and more like a sort of a craft cheese. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I've just written this is Blandcore Hyper Smug Edition. <laughs> it actually is, yeah. It he really looks is. dead smug in the video, and it's dead boring and bland. Oh, and, there's oh, a surprise. Yeah. Rubbish. No. When will you Awful. make my telephone ring? In brackets, never, mate. Never, never. ever, ever. No. I'll smash it so no one can contact you. Um, <laughs> number 74, Walk in the Night by Paul Hardcastle. Terrible thing, that. Oh, it's rubbish. It's got a video based around funny animals. Yep. I gave it 20 seconds and I want them back. <laughs> yeah, come on, Hardcastle, make with my seconds. <laughs> I was like, what is this crap? If you can't make 20 seconds, I'll set up a 19. Hey. Hey. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, no, no rubbish. In at number 78 was Airhead by Thomas Dolber. Thomas Dobley. Thomas Dobley. I don't know what to make of this. I don't know what to make of him, it, this. It's from the third album, Aliens Ate My Buick. I don't think I've knowingly ever listened to anything by Thomas Dolby ever. I think I have, but it's not for me. I'm not a big no. Thomas Dolby fan. No. I know somebody that probably is. but Yeah, probably. Yeah. He's a fan of everything, though. Um, yeah, true. Number 83, Tell That Girl to Shut Up by Transvision Vamp. <laughs> Sounds like every other Transvision Vamp song. You know, they had a formula, didn't they? And by God, they're sticking to it. <laughs> yes, they did. Uh, I know. Were you a Transvision Vamp fan? No. Pouty no. pop shite for simpletons. Um, but it's catchy, I suppose. But this particular one has a feel of a song written by completely by another band. Oh, really? So if you listen to this, this sounds a lot more like the... Uh, who is it who sang... Um, uh, what did we say? There's that band that we we heard. Where they sang... Um, la, 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 la. Sang Crash, Primitives. The Primitives. That sounds like a song that's probably written and performed at some point by the Primitives and then Transvision Vamp got hold of it and just turned it into a Transvision Vamp song. So you can imagine the formula is applied <sighs> to that. Yes. No. No. It ain't good. No, it's not. Finally, number nine, number 86, Perfect, by Fairground Attraction. No, it's not. It's no. far from it. It takes too long to end. <laughs> it does. It's still going on now. Well, it is, it is. you know what it is about that song? It's got an extended B. An extended B is never good, is it? It's got to be. It's an extended B. <laughs> I don't that like it. A, that's an extended B. It is. And then at the end, she goes, and there's loads of it. It keeps repeating it. Perfect. It's got to be. It's like, shut up. It's not perfect. This is no fairground attraction I like or want to be around. So they were a fairground attraction. What would they be? Be. Then what would they be? <laughs> yeah, what would they be? Um, I don't know. I felt that this would have been a perfect song for Tweaky from Books Ro- Book Rogers to sing. 
could just hand it over to him to sing those bits. It's got to biggie, 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 biggie. Perfect. It's perfect for him. It would have Sadly, been. he wasn't available to comment on that. No. Well, Dr. Theophilus had got him, you know, doing things. <laughs> doing some around chores. The, around the office. <laughs> no, Twiggy, you're not becoming a famous musician. Not while I'm around your neck. <laughs> biggie, 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 biggie. Just hear a toilet flush. Tweaky, this is very immature of you. <laughs> Take me out. Get me out of here. I'm too Get big to flush. My circuits are rusting as we speak. <laughs> I'm just a massive clock face. <laughs> Take me to the parliament with all my other clock face friends. <laughs> or I, can, well, I can't do anything. I would like to nod at them, but I can't. I can't even give them a the thumbs up. I have no thumbs. <laughs> if, I were, if I were giving the thumbs up, you'd know. <laughs> Take me out to the Tweaky, toilet. Give him the thumbs up, please. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. <laughs> No, not, that, not there. <laughs> Tweaky, when I say thumbs up, I mean a gesture of friendliness, <laughs> not some kind of probe, not probing it this time, Tweaky. Biggie, biggie, no Tweaky, no Tweaky, no. No, Book doesn't like it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Book. I didn't mean for Tweaky to do that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> he's called Rogers. <laughs> you better go and get, uh, um, get the commander. We may need some stitches in here. I can't do it. I've got no arms. Someone get a proctologist. <laughs> For Christ's sake, Tweaky, put a glove on. <laughs> okay. And that little playlet was brought to you by the uh, the friends of Book Rogers. Um, we're available for children's parties. Please give generously. So Please give generously. Every 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 day a clock is born without thumbs. <laughs> biggie, biggie. Tweaky, I've told you about that. Rude. 10th of, 10th of April. Um, <laughs> oh, well, we've talked about this already. In at number 25 is the theme from S-Express. Very S-Express. It is. What we didn't mention, of course, before was that there are a lot of Sid versions of this um, because mm. uh, this sort of hits the great Sid musicians all started to do versions of this. I'm, it featured in loads and loads of demos, but I think one of the real standout versions for me was by the great, now how do we say this again? Was it Haroon? Jeroon. 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 Jeroon Tell. Anyway, but it's by Jeroen. him. Um, and what age he was when he did this, I don't know, probably an embryo, because he's obviously a very talented fellow. <laughs> but that version's a very, very good one. It's on YouTube. We'll stick the link in the show notes. Go and check it out. It's a great version of the theme from S-Express done by a, on the Sid by a super Sid person who mm. obviously goes on to do some crazy good music. So Number 31, I Want You Back, 88, by Michael Jackson with the Jackson 5. Um, okay, I'll, I get help your question. I'll get your question in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the second single this month called I Want You Back. Oh, it is, yeah. It's the Banana Rap, Banana Rama song. Um, but this is by far the better of the two. I, I really, you know, it's a classic pop hit. It's classic seventies hit. It's a great tune. This just really good. But go on. What's your question? Well, it's a pragmatic question. Surely, if this is Michael Jackson with the Jackson Five, he was one of the Jackson Five. So technically, <laughs> isn't this Michael Jackson with the Jackson Four? Yes, yes, you're right. But Thank maybe you. He's, this is his older version singing with the the Jackson Five. Maybe they've done some kind of oh, weird thing to it. Some magic trickery. Very clever. I don't Very clever. quite possibly. So it is the Jackson Five, as in the original five. But now we've also got the later Michael Jackson ah, singing, so they could singing have also it the Jackson with himself. Six. Well, it no, he's the, the, but he's not part of them anymore. He's just he's oh, Michael Jackson. God, that, God, this is complicated. <laughs> Look, in this timeline, <laughs> it goes is up it here, and everything you do. <laughs> it's, it's a different Michael Jackson. It's not the one we're thinking of. It's Mike Jackson from Dundee. <laughs> just happens to have that name. <laughs> yeah, I want you back. <laughs> we're not exactly sure where mike jackson was from but um somewhere, in the, somewhere to the north of york so we're in the north yes somewhere in the north but yes it's not the mike jackson we know it's mike jackson from dundee makes sense now thank you thank you resolved that equation for me yeah there you go you're welcome i'm glad i, glad I did that uh number 49 it takes two by rob bass and 
DJ Easy Rock. No. <laughs> Not say on that one. Uh, number 65 is Deuce, Deus, Deus, I suppose, isn't it? Deus by the Sugar Cubes. Bah. More toast up gargling vocals from the Icelandic Electro Geisha and her band of restrained pandas. <laughs> not, not, not to your liking, then? No. If they drowned in salt, it would not upset me. I did wonder. I did think. But, um, yeah, it's, yeah, they're not for me either. <laughs> Although Electro Geisha is wear. a great name for an album, though, in all fairness. I'm giving it away to yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. It should be. Uh, number 69 is Angle. Sorry, Angel by Aerosmith. Yes, this is a great song by Aerosmith from Permanent Vacation, which is my favourite album of theirs by Miles. Um, I do like Pump, but Permanent Vacation has you know pound for pound better tracks. This is on it. Great rock ballad. These kind of things are very much the Aerosmith oeuvre. It's their thing. They do these really well when they do them. Yeah, it is a great song, um, but it is good to see in the video right at the very beginning, he does the painted Steve Tyler 180 degree <laughs> turn. Because <laughs> without it, yes. I wouldn't know who was singing it. I would, no, I'd be true. like, who is you this? Wouldn't. And, you know, if he just came on and was there, I'd be like, I don't know who this is. Because he starts the video facing away and does that does that turn <laughs> with his big outfit. Oh, I was like, thank oh, God. it's Aerosmith. It's Aerosmith. It's Steve Tyler. I think, is he in his late 70s now as well? I thought he meant then. <laughs> he looks no, like then. Probably, he may have been. He, well, he's, he's always had that kind of look, but he's kind of got timeless vocal quality. I really like their ballads. They're really good. This is really good. And Dream On is really good. And there's loads of them. Loads of them that are really good for this. Yeah. Uh, number Don't 75. Want to miss a thing and so on. Yeah, good. Number 75, yep. Get It On by Kingdom Come. Yeah, no. No. <laughs> no. We, we talked no. about this the other week. I'm not talking we about did. it again. Never again. Uh, number 78, Beds Are Burning by Midnight Oil. I like this song. I always like this track. It's the only track of theirs yeah, I yeah, do yeah. like. It's, it's really good. It's the only one I know. Yeah. Weird, catchy, weird. And I've always felt it was a bit odd. And I didn't write, I thought it was about something. I just didn't really have any context of what it was about. Anyway. The internet provides the answers. Um, it was all to do with Aboriginal communities um, seeing firsthand the seriousness of the issues in health and living standards. Yeah. Um, yes. Catchy song. And it was obviously criticising. And it's still it's a big, heavy message. And I didn't realise. I just thought, you know, hummed along. And then when it got to the beds of burning bit, I'm like, that's quite cool. I don't quite know why it works so well. But it's just got a nice, you know, nice good chorus. Good chorus, nice yeah. Good hook. Yeah, good um, stuff. Yeah. It goes much higher in the chart than that as well. Yes, it does. Yeah, I'm rightly so. It's It's a good... I mean, yes, it's it's a very very good song, but like I said, I think I I think I was someone played me the album back then because they bought the album back of this, but nothing stuck with me, so I couldn't tell you anything further from them. Um, maybe some of our I don't know. If they, I presume they were big in Australia. Some of our Australian listeners could highlight some of their so better they, they tracks. Must, they must have been. They must have been popular in Australia. They mentioned Australian places. The Kintore Ranges and the Yandumu. And I'm <laughs> yeah. sorry if I if my pronunciation <laughs> of those things is way off chart because I I don't understand what you're talking about. <laughs> Yeah. But, I'm, but I know it's important stuff. Yes. Okay. I I've never heard those places either. 17th of April. Uh, in at number 14 was One More Try by George Michael. Yeah. What? One More Try at what? Well, Hook a Duck at the local fairground. <laughs> Quite possibly. This is um, like the Sting song. It's really boring and overall. Yeah. Really. Well, it's, it's George Michael in that period where it's just boring and overall. Yeah. It all goes very dull and boring until you get to sort of later when you get Fast Love and stuff. It's all a bit... Yeah. A bit, bit slow and bit you know sophisto really dull video yeah yeah it's, it's music for dinner parties absolutely yeah not my dinner parties though no number 25 the payback mix part one james brown ow yeah two seconds in it goes this one <laughs> hey <laughs> dun, 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 dun. It's, yeah it's just immediately it's like oh yeah it's james brown it's like the steven tyler turn it's the james brown <laughs> 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 Yeah, well, that's how he says goodbye, hello, how are you, many other <laughs> phrases. Just in that that simple statement is the James Brown language. Yeah, it's uh, it's all to do with, uh, you know, um, context. It's all to do with the context yes, of where he is. exactly. If he's happy, you get a hey. If he's sad, you get a hey. 
<laughs> no, you just go, hey, it's all the same. Yeah, it's all the same. <laughs> you just no. you, You've got to apply context to his language. <laughs> I like that, though. It's kind of invert Latin. <laughs> Not for don't long, look, though. Don't look too hard. No, you got a swift beating to the face. He's an angry man. Yeah, he was an angry man, yeah. yeah uh, number 36, Beyond the Pale by The Mission. Mm. The second album, second single, sorry, of the Children album. Not to say, but it's, it's a great song, but I want you to put this in the show notes. If you want to listen to the best version of this, the 12-inch Armageddon mix, it is superb. It is excellent. Do they remix all their own stuff, or are they, have they got you know remixers? Uh, to be were? honest, I'm not sure. I think they might have done it all, but they, sometimes they had other people do some. They, they always had very, very good remixes of their singles. Things like Deliverance had the Sorcerer's Mix. There was just tons of them, and they were always always did really interesting things with them. Loads of samples and stuff thrown in, and crazy stuff going on and film stuff it's they're just un, unusual but it used to be a side of a 12 inch and they just takes that opportunity to do something different with the single cool. um, is this anything to do with barry um remix muldoon um, <laughs> don't think so but why have you, why have, has he got a story from the studio no 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 it shows he hasn't i just wondered if it was anything to do with him because he, you know, no. he has a tendency to appear in these kind of things when he wants to no I think it's uh, Bobby Mixmaster Johnson. <laughs> Jazz. <laughs> Bobby Mixmaster Johnson. Fair yeah. enough. I think Def- it might Def- be Def- him. Cut the fish. Um, Cut the fish. <laughs> and at number 47, there is always something there to remind me by the house martings. Mm. 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 Is that Got a bad like thing? There's always something there to remind you? I wonder what it was. Always something there. Is it that to remind me? Mm. No, it probably isn't that. It probably isn't that. But I wonder what it was that was not. reminding him. What was it? Picture? Watch? No, I don't know. Um, I don't like the House Martins. No one should, is my estimation of that. No, they're I don't neither like House either. or called Martin. So, <laughs> no, what do you make of that? Not. What do you make of that? There you go. Uh, and at number 49 was Prime Mover by Rush, Synthy, synthy Period Rush, which mm. is a Hold Your Fire sort of main track off it. It's very, very synthy, this. I, I mean, I, I really like this song, but the bass playing on this song is so good. There's so many little sort of bass triplets and riffs and just all the way through it. It's just, I don't know Very how he does it. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how he sings and does that bass playing. Well, he operates his fingers <laughs> in a dexterous way over string-based instruments to produce a sound. And he does it in such a way that um, in a sequence that it makes a melody. That's how he does it. <laughs> 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 He's just very good at that. He's very He's good very at good. it. very good. It's that and the singing. I don't know how you do that. Well, uh, how do you sing? That. Well, he emits <laughs> sounds and puts air over his vocal cords. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Geddy Lee these days looks permanently surprised, which is the Rush album they never made. <laughs> no, there was permanent. No, they want permanent vacation. There was, there was one of the permanent waves was their uh, waves. Al- album. Every picture I've seen of him recently just looks like someone's just <laughs> pushed a sausage up his bottom. He's going, oh. <laughs> Probably has. <laughs> Probably has. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't, don't deny the guy's talent, though. In all fairness, I mean, goodness me. Did you see the performance of, well, such as it was, of the Rush members for the tribute concert for the guy from the Foo Fighters? No, I did not. Um, if, uh, if you haven't seen that, go check it out. Geddy Lee playing with the remaining members of the band. And oh, stuff. really? It's, 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 yeah, it's really good. Really good. Because oh. well, they're all huge you... Rush fans, all of them, so. Yeah, Taylor, I know Taylor Hawkins was a massive Rush fan, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So just go and watch it because it's an amazing tribute anyway. Um, it's worth seeing for that and also for seeing Eddie Van Halen's son playing Eruption, which is just mind-blowing. And also yeah. Taylor Hawkins' son playing Hero. Yes. And it's not when he's just the drumming for that. That's yeah, so good, really that. Good. Really good. Yep. Go check it out. The entire thing's on, probably on YouTube by now, I thought. Yeah, probably. Number 64, Johnny Be Good by Judas Priest. Mm, Awful, horrible, and pointless. <laughs> I know, I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm 
I, Left feel right. re- I feel really upset that you put that picture on there. It's like, it's just some things, you know, I don't want to see. I watched the video. I don't want to see anything else. Well, the thing is, you look at that picture and then you realise where Spinal Tap got most of its inspiration from for some of the, you know, Derek Smalls is clearly based on the guy on the left there. Yeah, or the right. Without doubt. Um, but with all that studded leather, I was thinking the potential for chafing on any body part there is is extraordinary. Yeah, especially because what you can't see is most of the studs are on the inside. Exactly. And, and is that guy wearing leather braces? Anyway, I don't know what that means. <laughs> it's quite possibly. But yeah. you say burl, I raise your burl and show you that picture. It's <laughs> too much. Honestly. There's no burl there. Just pale white men. They're all burl. That's burly, burly outfits, I guess you call the worst them. That's thing is to, burl. Well, the worst thing is to note that sort of thing is that they're all wearing leather waistcoats of one yes. degree or another. But this yeah. is not the worst leather waistcoat we will see this episode. <laughs> it's not, is it? No. There's one coming right at the end, which is out, is. out leathers them all. Um, <laughs> and it ain't good. No. Number 71, Somewhere in My Heart, Aztec Camera. Oh, I, I'm like you. I hate this stupid song and the lyrics. Yeah, it's, it's stupid. Silver splits, but a baby being born to the, born over- to the overkill. Somewhere in, is it somewhere in the city or somewhere in the city? Where it's the somewhere in the city because it? it's somewhere in my heart. So somewhere yeah. in the city where the, the air is still, a baby, a baby being, born. being born to the overkill. I hate that song. I, I don't think, I can't hate it. I just, it's just, it's just omnipresent for a while in every somewhere 80s collection, in isn't it? My heart, yeah, I'm just, no. It is. It's, a good, it's, it's the a only Aztec chorus. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the only one I know. Story. It's the only one anyone knows. Even it's the only hate one he knows. Str- hate, hate is a strong <laughs> word, but I do hate it because it's around, it was around so much I came to hate it. I reckon you'll hate the next one more, no, which is The King of Rock and Roll say, by Prefab I, Sprout. I, I absolutely <laughs> number hate 77. that. Yeah, hate more smug, bland, nonsense. Absolutely. Hot dog. Hot dog. Jumping frog, Albert. Shut up, you annoying turds. <laughs> yeah. That's not what I wrote. I wrote stronger words. Uh, but um, I hated it. You I did. hate this song. Good, good Lord. That kind of language <laughs> is no place in time or space. <laughs> Those um, are strong words. For the keen-eared out there, the only funny time I've ever seen this played contextually is when Daisy plays at a really crap party in the TV show Spaced, which everyone should go and watch because it's very, very funny indeed. It especially is. Especially that episode. It is. Unlike our next song, number 84, Pump Up the Bitter by Star yes. Turn on 45 Pints, which is neither, which is not funny or clever. It's no. stupid and not funny. No. I don't know where these things, someone, someone thinks it's a good idea. That's really funny. You should release that. That yeah. conversation ended up in this situation where we've got Pump Up the Bitter, brew it. It's rubbish. Terrible, rubbish. horrible thing. Erase from space. Yep. 24th of April, and at number 26 is Out of Reach by the Primitives. Yep. It sounds good exactly song. like what you're going to expect. It sounds like a primitive <laughs> yes. song. Sounds uh, like sort the of primitives. Vocals. Good song, though. I liked it. Yeah, yeah. They're, I think they're a good band. Mm-hmm. Number 50 is The Finest Work Song by R.E.M. Never heard it. I didn't recognize this one either. It's all right, though. No, this is the, realized, I've realized over the looking through all of the music we have, there's so much R.E.M. that I'm never going to listen to. I felt relieved. <laughs> No, that's quite good. Just put it on while you're asleep. That. Then you can REM while you listen to your REM. Yes, yes, true. Rem, yeah. rem. <laughs> yeah, you get double rem. Number 58, <laughs> Imnin Alu by Ofra Haza. Yeah. And I've put, is this some kind of ancient spell? Well, I hope not because I've, I've just summoned something. <laughs> or is this uh, someone with a cold or about to sneeze trying to explain that they're in a zoo without a hat? <laughs> I'm in a zoo without a Sorry, you're in a zoo without a hat? <laughs> Second class return to Nottingham. <laughs> tunes. You need tunes, mate. You want to play Osmium? Get some Hall's mentholiptus. Some mentholiptus is what you need. 
Ofrahaza. Ofra uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what this is. Ofrahaza, though. Why do I recognise the name Ofrahaza? Did they sing with the sisters? Was that Ofrahaza uh, who did Temple of Love? Uh, uh, yeah, I have no the, idea. Uh, no. When the Temple of Love 92 remix. For some reason, all I can hear in my head is Murph and the Magic Tones, so I'm guessing <laughs> I'm, I, the answer is I don't know. <laughs> He's got the bear on the... Do you know what the ballet is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the ballet? Did, 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 did. Yeah, no. no. <laughs> um, number 71 is I Can't Wait Anymore by Saxon. Oh, goodness me, that video. Oh, did you watch the video? Blue yes. Screen Hell. It made me laugh out loud. <laughs> goodness me, how Especially... Blue Screen will abuse... And then the spandex, <laughs> the spandex wearing is off the charts. Oh, it's just on that guitar. Ridiculous! I mean, goodness <laughs> me, them the plums must be well tucked in with them. <laughs> they've gone. I mean, they've gone back. Elastic up, bands. And you could, you, if Jeez. you look closely, sort of thing, they've replaced his tonsils. <laughs> well, they are essentially wearing the same material that you would use for a slingshot. So, <laughs> crikey, Bob, tight yeah. pants is an understatement. There, yeah, it, they were all. It was just. It was you know, my it's like eyes. second skin for them. It's quite grim, really. It was horrible. At number seventy-six was "Give, Give, Give Me More, More, More" by the Wonder Stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. This, I know a few people who were really into these. I wasn't one of them. No, I didn't mind some of their bits and bobs, but um, mm. this was okay. Um, and the, the first album, "Eight Legged Groove Machine," is actually all right. It's pretty much the only one I really got any time for. Yeah. I didn't like Hope. Never loved Elvis. Um, no. Whatever the fourth one was. Um, don't know. It's this, it would it'd feature on an album called The Best of Gulliver's in Grimsby, and the Wonder Stuff would feature heavily on that at certain, on the Tuesday night's album. And for a Friday night, it would have been uh, Dizzy with the yeah. big, oh, big Reeves. You just sent a shiver down my spine. <laughs> it was just everywhere for a while, wasn't it? That track? I mean, wasn't it just? Yeah. yeah. Um, number 78, America by Killing Joke. Now, the, if there's ever a song that did not sound like you'd expect it to sound, this is it. Yeah, I gave it a listen. Hmm. Yeah, I was like, okay. I expected Killing Joke to be quite metally, and that in sort of metally gothy <laughs> type thing. Yeah, a bit yeah, darker, but quite what you describe that as. But it ain't what I thought it'd it be. Interestingly, though, the thing I noticed about this was it's weird. We have to have these sort of correlations in between a couple of songs. This is obviously this is a. A, a song about what it's like in America and the American political system, and, and it's not very good. And so was Alice Cooper's Freedom. Oh, it similar, was, yeah. similar, thematically similar. Yeah, yeah. they're linked. Um, they're linked. Was, but this one lacked all the burl of uh, yeah. Alice Cooper's. And so, you know, on on a burl, if this was like Top Trumps, um, yeah, this would lose just lost on the, the card on the burl, on the burl quota. Yeah, yeah, on the burl quota, yeah. yeah. Alice Cooper would yeah. be walking away with that one every day. I can't think of a video, maybe John. Parnham's You're the Voice, where Rambo's yeah. playing the guitar. <laughs> that is, has also got quite a lot of burl power, that one. Yeah, proper <laughs> burl power. <laughs> the, yes, I coined that phrase. The, the lesser known <laughs> sporty burl. <laughs> Ginger burl. <laughs> yes, we've invented a new thing. Listeners of this podcast, Bell Power. Bell Power. <laughs> if you <laughs> if you want to be my burler. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, tell me about this bell power. I like bell it. I'm life. going with it. <laughs> yeah, speaking of bell power, yeah. Eat more yeah. protein. Bell. <laughs> bell power. Baby bell. <laughs> Baby like bell. Is that cheese? <laughs> yeah. Oh, the marketing. The only ideas are flooded in now. Posh Prote bell. A super protein cheese yeah, called Baby Bell. Posh bell. <laughs> Forty bell. Scary bell. And then, Pink Floyd's burly version would be Division Burl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> the uh, album's on a much thicker disc. Yeah. <laughs> it's unbendable. It's like, ah! You have to be really burly to sort of lift it up and put it on. Yeah. <laughs> if you can actually lift this album, you can buy it. Yeah, so it actually comes on a uh, on a 20 kilo um, Olympic disc plate that you'd use for the gym. You can actually put that in a really heavyweight CD player and it'll play it. It's carved out of rock. It's a solid tw- 20 kilo iron. <laughs> iron disc. Have you got that new... <laughs> Have you got the new uh, album by Pink Floyd, Division Burl? <laughs> yes, yeah, clump. Uh, <laughs> I can't lift this. Then you cannot have it. <laughs> you do not have Burl power. Get out. Get out. <laughs> but I'm Ginger Burl. <laughs> you're not any Burl. Get out of here, you fake Burler. You're Burlesque. You're nothing like real Burl. <laughs> Your Burl is weak. <laughs> Your Burl is weak, old man. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so yes, anyway, as, uh, there's not enough Berlin in that song, that's for sure. <laughs> Only now at the end do you see. <laughs> um, yeah. Finally, the worst leather jacket of the week award goes to uh, oh, yes. the Break 7, Tall Cool One with Robert Plant. He's not having yes. a good time of it of late, is he? No, this video's stupid. And it's the opening of the song is played with the heaviest piano ever. It's like they're hitting the piano with burl level sledgehammers <laughs> to create sort of loud, heavy piece of heavy piano. It's like stupidly powerful drums. Yep. So powerful. And then he stands there looking petrified at one point because he's so thin from the yeah. side view. He almost turns into a twiglet. <laughs> well, it's the twiglet wearing a massive leather jacket waistcoat. That jacket, honestly, that's. If you take that away, there's nothing in there. It's just empty. You know, there's that really that's weird bit him. as well where he, st- he sort of turns to the to the backing singers and does that sort of arm wiggle, that sort of what he thinks to be a oh, sexy arm wiggle. But it's, no, it's, it, it, looks like, um, it looks like a scarecrow in the wind. It looks like he's trying to impersonate Rod Hull without Emu. <laughs> oh, Rod which is never a good thing. It never ended well for Rod Hull when he tried that. He fell off a roof. He did, yeah. Hit uh, Lenny Bennett on the way down, knocked him off his ladder. <laughs> <laughs> they never, no, one, no, no one ever knew that they lived together. <laughs> It was always a laugh moment. right in their house. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Bennett and Hull. And the pink windmill never span again. <laughs> oh, it did. <laughs> Burl, save me now. <laughs> <laughs> Fist of Burl. <laughs> Eye of Burl. The Eye of Burl. Oh, oh there we go. Me. Anyway, that's it. That's the Burley singles. Loads of Burl in that lot. We're going to go wait and take Berlin. a quick break. <laughs> You take my burl away. Um, <laughs> yes, that's come to an end now. That <laughs> really must. Uh, we're going to go away, take a quick break, do some lifts to get, get our burl quota up. <laughs> and we'll be back with our uh, last set of games uh, for this week. We've got four more to get through. And then, yeah, so there we go. So we will see you in a bit. See you in a burl. <laughs> Graham, here's a shout out for one of our sponsors' books, The Case of the Notorious Roboticist. Why is she notorious anyway, this Isadora? It's nothing to do with that Duran Duran song, is it? It's even worse, Graham. She's programming bias into AI, and that does not spell good news for men in this cyberpunk dystopian noir thriller. Okay, so what's going to stop her then? Moroz. He's a nice guy. Bit of a bumbling fool, it's true, but he's got a heart of gold, gold, always believe in your soul, gold. Okay, uh, so not like Johnny Hates Jazz then? Oh, no, 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 thank God, no, no. When Isadora is charged with murder, which she refutes, 
as she thought it was her own android, she asked Moros to help her. But should he? And if he does, what will it cost him? Hmm, intriguing. Grab the case of the notorious roboticist by David Hearn from Amazon or Book Depository. Available everywhere as an audiobook too. And even features a roboticist named Elvin too. Interesting. Hmm? And we are back for the last section. We've got four more games to get through, so let's waste no time um, and just get into them. So the first one is dot, 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 Traz. Full price, nine ninety five. Traz. Traz, or Transformable Arcade Zone, for, mm. for those who might want to know, is another in the long line of breakout variants on the C64, following on from things like Crackout, Arkanoid, that level in Oink, and <laughs> many others. The Oink level. <laughs> I feel like there's another one. What's that triangle one that we couldn't name? That was what? That was oh, a variant, there was one, it? yeah. Uh, side breakout. Breakout. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> crab sideways. Sideways yeah. crab. It was the one that, yeah, nothing. I can't remember because <laughs> it had nothing to do. Yeah, that's the one. But I, I did look. A quick look on Lemon 64. There's loads of them. I just don't know. But, you know, it's another bat and ball game, essentially. This one is from Cascade Software. It's got coding by John Menzies uh, before he started the stationery store uh, with graphics by John Cassells and Damon Redmond and music by Jerome Kimmel. Um, do I need to go over the basis basis breakout? A ball bounces around, you need to keep it in play by controlling a bat. Yeah, there you go. Just keep it simple. That's there it. you go. There are a number of destructible bricks on the screen, and clearing them all takes you to the next screen. That's basic breakout. Here it is. Traz is somewhat more advanced than that, though, while still retaining that core gameplay loop. When the game boots up, you are given three options. Single player, team mode, and construction kit. Be wary of the construction kit, as it asks you if you want to erase all the screens out of memory, and that's exactly what it does. <laughs> meaning you have no game left to play unless you create all the screens back yourself which is uh, I just want to change one bogus yeah, it's like oh no you got to all 64 get designing Ah. Anyway, that's what it did to me. So selecting the one-play option sees us launched into the game proper the aim here is to escape from an electric so there's a story Okay, let's break out. We've got a story. Uh, you've got to escape from an electronic prison consisting of 64 cells. These cells are the game's levels, and each one is a different level of breakout, essentially. Completion of the cell um, you find yourself in is by destroying all the bricks, and once done, you'll be able to proceed to any cells that connect to the one you are in. This is communicated to you by massive arrows pointing either up, down, left, or right, and pushing in one of those directions takes you to that uh, that cell. So that's the point, that's the part of this. That's how you move around. So you can kind of approach this in, in any kind of way you want. Anytime while it's playing, you can press F1, and that brings up a map, pause the game, brings up a map of all the cells, showing the ones you've defeated and so on. So you can see the, the world and as you're progressing through it and where you kind of got to go and, and move around and go through that like that. Breaking some of the bricks in the levels, they will create modifiers. So this is basic breakout at this point in time. So just imagine there's the ball. I'll get into some of the particulars of how this is a bit different in a bit. But if you break some of the bricks, it will create modifiers that are represented by question marks that sort of float down towards you. Collision with these question marks, they can it might speed you up, it might slow you down, it might create multi-ball, makes the ball's physics change, and make sort of, you know, they'll go in a kind of a, an arc. So instead of going straight, they'll arc around. It gives you a laser, so on and so on. There's loads of different ones. They're kind of random, so you never know what you're going to get. So they can be good or they can be bad, and they can make the level harder or easier. But like I said, it's random, so you don't know. There are also refractors in the level, uh, and these change the direction of the balls as they move through them. So they're kind of like water almost. So if something goes into the way that water ref refracts light, this kind of changes the, the direction of the ball 
So you, if it goes in straight on, it might it'll sort of change to an angle, uh, and they can you know bugger up where you're trying to aim and things like that because uh, they're a bit of a nuisance. Around the edges, there are there are maybe one or two gaps in the wall. Usually, there's two. And if the ball should make contact with these gaps, there's kind of lightning going across them. Then you lose a life. If you lose all five lives, then that's it. Game over. Adios, muchacho. So so far, it's not that dissimilar to Arkanoid or Krakow. It's that same kind of like same kind of style of thing. But Traz has that second option on the menu, team play, and this is kind of where the game's main difference lies. Traz is at all times a two bat breakout game. So whether you play on your own or with someone, there are always two bats on the screen. If you play single player, you control both of them. And depending on the cell you are in, the location of the bat varies. They may be both along the bottom, or one may be on the right and the other on the left, or one on the top and one on the bottom. Um, it can get tricky as well, because when you have one on the bottom, you might have one on the right or left as well. And you have to use left and right for the bottom one and up and down for the vertical one. So you kind of got to keep your you know the ball can be there's multiple ways that the ball can get out of the the, the grid or the script the cell you're in and you kind of you've got to make sure you're watching in all different angles of where the ball is bouncing because you've got to protect two exits essentially and so it's here that traz's main strength rests is two player mode in two player mode you control a bat each but that they swap at random times as well so you'll be controlling one and it'll swap so you, you've got to keep your wits about you so you know which one you're controlling at all times this does bring something new to the game and the genre itself. We've had two player sort of versus breakout. We had that Jeff Minter one, that Jeff Minter one, that's the other one I can't remember, which was in the minigame collection. I can't remember what, what that was though, but it, there was definitely it was the it was, zap sampler tape. It was the zap sampler tape. Yeah, yeah. So there was that. So we've had a two player breakout, but that was kind of a versus mode. This is more co op. And so this is, does bring something new to it. You've got to work together. Um, having to keep an eye on two sections of the wall where you can lose the ball through certainly takes some doing. The visuals are pleasant enough. There's a sort of a bass relief style to the bricks. Uh, the bats are fine. It all looks nice. There's some nice electricity style effects on the out of bounds parts of the wall. Uh, and when your bat gains a laser as well, that kind of gets this sort of electricity effect where, where it was just a static bat beforehand. The ball moves smoothly enough. It's fast. Even when you get multiple, uh, multiple multi balls, I've had like about six, I think, on screen at once at one point, pinging around. There's no slowdown. They're all moving pretty smoothly. I've got no, no qualms about the actual technical stuff going on here it's very good no, like i said no slowdown or anything like that there were also as we saw in crack out i think it was crack out and also in arkanoid as well we have floating sprites that just randomly float around getting in the way um these are i thought they're out of place i don't think the graphical style from they're just like they're more like sort of gremlin like the weird things you see in gremlin games at the moment they're kind of from that sort of style of graphical um sprite design i don't really think they fit um and to be fair perfectly honest i don't really like these kind of things in these games i think they're just annoying so yeah, they are what they are that seems to be the rigor in these breakout games at the moment i wasn't that big a fan of the floating uh, sorry the music on the title screen is okay but it's a bit lifeless in game there's nothing more than the ball hitting things to amuse in the sound department so the title screen music is all right it's not terrible it's okay to listen to but once you get into the game it's just boop bang boop bang boop boop and it's like oh okay mm. so for me this is kind of where probably where the game starts to fall down um there's no doubt in like i said the technical skills on display here but it feels a little lifeless in the playing and it suffers from the self-same problem that, that sort of all breakout games do when there are only the last few bricks left it really becomes quite dull and also because of the nature of the way that these cells are laid out there are quite a lot of unbreakable uh, bricks that are just there you can't break them up so you've got this they're, they're kind of differently designed so you know they're there and there's all these refractors dotted about and so when you're trying to angle the ball towards the bricks that you know some of the some of them are really hard to get 
you have to be you know it has to be a lucky bounce off somewhere and so you just find yourself really bored towards the end of the level and with all the enemies moving about because they get more and more as the level as the time goes on there's more of them bouncing about so every time they hit they'll knock the ball off in a random direction and that can be pain so you think you've got it where you want it to be and it's not and oh it's it just the end of the levels just get in the way it just they just it makes it more of a pain than it needs to be what's also worth noting is the way your ball will sometimes bounce off at random angles from your both your bat and the enemies and it doesn't go where you were expecting it to so you kind of have an understanding of where the ball should be going when it hits your bat in breakout and here it's not always 100% reliable so that led to quite a few deaths um, or just going in the wrong direction that became a pain so you know it's what it is still it's an interesting take on the breakout style of game and it does offer some new elements and that story mode and the way you can navigate from screen to screen and take the sort of ways you want to go you do also as well start off on a different level or different cell each time you play could be any one of the 64 cells within the game so there's that for variety so you might not always start in the same one you're trying to learn them and trying to work your way around and getting through all 64 that's i mean that's some task that's because it's really hard this because it moves fast you will lose lives quickly trying to get through 64 of these is going to be an absolute nightmare i'm sure someone's done it but it was way beyond my abilities i probably may have got through about three or four before my lives were gone um but you know it is what it is it's uh, like i said it's an interesting take on the breakout style of the game it's just let down by elements within the core game loop of breakout um and some iffy physics which is a bit of a pain the start of it like anything the, the start of the breakout levels is always the fun part oh getting the bricks it's easy it's bouncing it around loads to hit but i found myself getting bored as it near the end is with less bricks so less power-ups because it's the power-ups that make this kind of interesting but they only occur when you're hitting bricks and if there's less bricks and it's harder to hit them there's less power-ups which means there's less variety and so on and so on and so on if they could have spiced up the ending of the levels this would have been way better but as it is this element really stops the play dead in its tracks which is a shame really so the rest of it's pretty good it's presentationally nice looks good sounds all right it's not amazing you know it's a bit dull and thingy but the tunes all right on the title screen some way to have sped that ending up whether once you get to like just 10 percent of the bricks left they there's something happens like something comes on starts shooting them or something or you get some kind of you don't have to get them all you know you get a choice do you want to move on now you know, or do you want to go for the scores high take some, something that would have allowed you to try and do that and i think break out of this you've got to clear them all would have been um, much better for this as it is i think this is all right it got quite a decent score it got an 87 percent. i can kind of see why because i think in two player this is, would be a bit of a laugh I didn't get to play it in two-player, so uh, I would like to, I think, at some point. And I think that will add quite a lot to this. Uh, the sort of, you know, co-op breakout is probably quite a bit of a laugh, especially when it's swapping the bats all over and you're, you know, trying to keep that ball in and trying to get those last few bricks. But on your own, it does get a bit tiresome, I found. So that is what it is. What did you think? Yeah, interesting that we said ages ago a multiplayer breakout would be a good idea. It turns out it is. There's a lot, not a lot of ways you can expand the logic of breakout. And I suppose all the ones, the ways that you can expand it, they have multiple bats, balls, different bricks, patterns, upgrades, colors, directions, all that sort of stuff. Plays how you might expect a game like that to play with unique twists, but I quite liked it for that. Graphics are very bright, quite chunky, but they do work well. It's fast, sometimes quite frantic, which is nice. Everything works in the way you would expect it to in a good way. And again, as you say, the multiplayer variations offer you a lot of dynamics to play. The music here is quite good. It's a decent package. This is the same guy that by the, who did this music. Who, by the way, is the guy from the from the demo group, the judges. So you'll okay. have heard some. Prob- you probably would have heard Ra Lovely. Um, you might have heard Think oh, Twice yeah, yeah. Three or Think Twice Five. That's the same same guy that made this music. So, right. Okay. Um, Jerome Red Kimmel. Really good stuff. I quite like that. But again, this is kind of a game. I don't know if it, uh, my main two takeaways from this were that. I quite liked it in the way that it was. It's playable enough. It would be good fun with more players than just one, I think. I just couldn't decide if the price point was a good, was a good reflective of its value, its real value, really. 
£10 seems like a lot for a breakout game, however you swing it. And um, we've debated that before as well with others. I suppose if you want to play a, you know, a variation of Falconoid, breakout, whatever, and it's got a bit of a different twist, then if you like those kind of games, there's this, and it isn't actually that bad for what it is. So I, I enjoy playing it, but I enjoy Arkanoid as well. And they're kind of the ruling the roost. It doesn't add a lot more to it in the mm. sense that it's still breakout at its heart, but I don't know, it's all right. I, I, I quite enjoyed my time playing it, but I, I, it wasn't something I'm going to go, wow, Traz was the greatest game ever. I must go back and play it. I was kind of like, yeah, that's quite good. Move on. <laughs> Instantly forgettable, really. Yeah, yeah. I think it just, like I said, for me, it just has the same annoyances that the, the core loop of Breakout has. It's the ending of the levels. Yeah, yeah. I find yeah. them really boring. I always have done. Yeah. It's like, oh, but there you go. But it is well made, and there's some interesting bits and bobs to it. It's all right. Mm. Traz. Strange name, though. Not it quite is. sure about Transformable Arcade. I got it mixed zone. up with another game as well. I totally got it mixed up with another game, which I thought had a Rob Hubbard soundtrack, so... Is that Baz? Story of Baz? No, I don't know what that one is. Ricochet, I think I'm getting it mixed up with. Uh, don't know that one. But maybe, maybe it is. We haven't seen it. Maybe. There you go, that's Traz. Let's move on to our next one, which I'm sure will be just as good. Graham, <laughs> tell us what it's like to be a mandroid. Oh, I, I was dreading getting this one. <laughs> uh, this is from CRL. Is this a heli drop? You had a <laughs> yeah. To be fair, neither of you know those are great propositions. So this is Mandroid, created by CRL uh, Andrew Stoddard, uh, Stoddart, and John Law, and and Jay Ho um, are responsible for the creation of this with Jay Derrett on the old sounds and music duties. It's the sequel. This, which is always a challenging proposition when it was a dull original game, but this is a sequel to Remember Cyborg from CRL, and um, we reviewed that back in episode fifty-four. Um, that gave ago? that up. Yeah, Zap gave it a whopping 45% in their review, and we said that it had some nice ideas, silly function key commands, relatively interesting details, but left us cold because it was just a lot of wandering around looking for something to do with lots of brown and dull-looking graphics. Hold that thought. Um, (laughs) So this is a sequel to that. In this game, Chris Alka, a defector, has stolen the plans for the Mandroid. Yeah, all right. Mandroid. Okay, whatever. Mandroid. It's just so stupid. And has buggered off somewhere to somewhere called Cove 4 to liaise with the criminal mastermind, Max. Is that the same Max from Mission Impossible, the first Mission Impossible movie? I'm guessing so, yeah. I'm guessing it must be. There's only one Max. Anyway, you must hunt Alcad, track him down, get information about the plans and the criminals, find out where they are, and get the Mandroid plans back. Get back the Mandroid plans, for goodness sake. <laughs> The Mandroid plan. Does it matter? If they steal the plans and they just take copies, then give them the originals back. It doesn't matter then, does it? We're in the future. You can get copies of things anyway. So you start the game and it's away. The first thing you'll notice is the slightly sluggish movement in this. Not nice, that. No. No idea why it is that way either. And the game window is kind of a corridor across the top of the screen, similar to Cyborg, of course. Underneath that is a UI area that flips out depending on what you're doing. I noticed a whole bunch of weapons that would periodically tease the view and then disappear, so I couldn't actually access them. You can find them (laughs) as you wander around. And you can also climb inside a nearby hover car thing, and the UI changes to indicate the controls of that, which you'll just spend time in running backwards and forwards, killing people, because that's what you can do. And then realizing that it is actually no use because a hover vehicle that can't hover over a gap is no hover vehicle I want to purchase, (laughs) let me tell you. It's terrible for that. Absolutely. Rubbish. So essentially you walk around, scoot in the hover thing if you want to. And again, like I say, you're probably going to just run people over a lot, but you're basically going, wandering around, exploring and looking for information and interacting with things to get information about the whereabouts of Max, the Mandroid plans and Alka, Chris Alka. That's the, that's the game. So in this, as you wander around, you'll come across what they call transportation gateways-ish. That allows you to go to different locations. Different, so different is a word, isn't it? <laughs> Similar looking locations. Um, 
you also need to acquire money in this game, which seems really stupid because it's just gathered from dispensers, really, that are dotted about. Or you can win at gambling things if you really want to. It's really dull. You also have to encounter other characters and you can use your command menu to talk and to interact with them. So if you press F1, that brings up your weapons, or weapon, as it was for me. And then F2 brings up your comms, which is this awkward control system to try. And, and it's similar to the awkward control system that was in Cyborg. It doesn't make you want to talk to people. Conversing no. with people in a game should be made simple. Do it like, I mean, even if it was just a, you have three things to say and you select it, like most other games of this type do with that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one doesn't. So just you end up just wandering around, walking, occasionally shooting. Nobody seems bothered by you in this game. I was stood for 10 minutes, just stood there. Not, <laughs> nobody was paying me any attention. They weren't doing anything. There's no pressure to find anybody. The Mandroid plans aren't on some kind of countdown from what I could gather. They've just got them and you've just got to find them. No pressure. Just wandering around aimlessly. All in a quest to find Max, Alka and the Mandroid plans. And that sounded like an amazing jazz fusion band. (laughs) Whichever way you look at it. Max, Alka and the Mandroid plans. Come on. I hate jazz, but I'd go see them. (laughs) Exactly. Apparently, side two of the tape of this had some kind of Mandroid library file with some extra information on it. Wouldn't make this turd any more polished, would it, Matt? (laughs) Um, Anyway, the issues here are plentiful, unfortunately. Um, The graphics are slow and jerky and not well realised on the whole. The game is as dull as dishwater. Even with a relatively interesting premise, they've managed to squeeze out anything interesting in this game. And just what remains is the dull, brown, monotonous trolling around that is not interesting to anyone. Nothing happens in this game. Entire swathes of this are just wandering around, looking bored, interacting with nobody, periodically getting in and out of things and going in and out of places, asking questions that are pointless. It's the very definition of really boring, that. Um, the enemies, yep. such as they are, are stupid beyond compare in this. When they do decide to do something, they just shoot at walls, shoot in the wrong direction, put, look, shoot the wrong way. I had an entire bunch of enemies that ran towards me and they just turned around and shot the other way. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? Why? They don't even get out of the way of vehicles. No, you just run them over endlessly. Um, and if you do that, they do te- periodically drop useful things, which you have to then go and pick up. Very boring. Getting in and out of the hover vehicle is a chore and a pain anyway. Just, just it's not good. It doesn't the game doesn't give you any feeling of progress whatsoever? It feels like you're literally doing nothing, going nowhere in an aimless task for no reason. I mean, that is bleak, isn't it? That is, I mean, I thought Andy Cap had bleak moments, but at least Andy Cap had a purpose at the end. No, this is just <laughs> endless trolling around these dull landscapes. Just, do you know anything about Max? No, sorry. Okay, ten minutes later, do you know anything about Max or the Mandroid? No, no, it's not to do with me. It's just what? Why? Just so boring. Just on top of that, the final slice of that turdy cake. The controls are horrible, and the menus are really annoying and flit about in a way that is just annoying. A game that's a sequel to something that got forty-five percent. So you know, we say average begets average, but in the first in the first you know round. Um, it would imply that if you're going to make a sequel to this, you would take the valuable lessons that you learned from making a really boring, endless, dull piece of crap like Cyborg. Take the lessons from that and make a better game second time around. But no, 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 to do that would be crazy logic, wouldn't it? Don't do that. <laughs> Let's just make a game that's a more or less the same dull, dreary nonsense. Why not do that? People loved it. They didn't like it. They didn't like it. Nobody bought that game in droves. It was dull, boring and useless, just like this crappy sequel. A boring and ploddy sequel nobody wanted to a boring, ploddy original game. Get off my C64, you turd burger. <laughs> did you like it? No. No, I did not. Just before we do get into it, did you look at the cover, that I po- p- the picture that I posted? Uh, I will have done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, that's okay. not the game I played. <laughs> no, it's not. No, <laughs> it's, like, it's not. It's just dead weird. 
It's like yeah. I don't know what what it was. Well, I'll have to post that cover have somewhere. We, have we done a? Did we ever done a crap vert from Android? I feel like uh, we've I don't it. think I've ever seen it. I don't think it's ever come a, come along. No, I've not seen not. one anyway. No, not good. So yeah, Mandroid, ten quid. Ooh. Ten pound. How have they made Cyborg worse? I mean, that's some achievement. Well, they found a way. <laughs> they found a way. So there's another stinker from CRL, which obviously now stands for Crappy br- Crappy Rubbish Limited. It's terrible <laughs> graphics, jerky scrolling, and boring sound effects. It's just annoying oh, from the moment you hit fire with boring brown graphics that look worse than those in Cyborg and blocky sprites and overly done explosions. Those explosions when you shoot someone. Oh, stupid. <laughs> it's stupid. So stupid. And then when, when you get into your hover vehicle, which from a scale point of view is way too small for you to get in, <laughs> it reminded me of the it bit is in the, the Simpsons. smart car version. It's the bit in the Simpsons. Oh, this is the only car I could afford. Does it look? Do I look funny to you? It's that, <laughs> that real it's, tall it's guy that. gets out that car. Yeah, when there's no way this, that, that the Mandroid is fitting in that thing, it just isn't. It's too. It's too small. But then even when you're doing it, you just hover about doing nothing, and then get blown up when you try to cross a gap. Which hover? Ah, no. <sighs> I guess, I mean, I'm sure there's ambition here, but those ambitions have not been realised in any way that's enjoyable. The title screen music was okay, I guess, but on the whole, this is bad. And the stupid, this is as bad as the stupid name promised. Mandroid. That's what cyborgs are. You've just tried to come up with another word for cyborg. (laughs) We already have the word, and your first game was called it. Why don't you just call it Cyborg 2? Yeah. I don't get it. You have the licence. You made it. (laughs) Mandroid. (laughs) Mandroid sounds like, it just sounds all kind of wrong. Mandroid. It's, it's not good. It's, it's not, not good. a good word. It doesn't sound good. It's like, oh, he's, he's an android, but he's a man. That's a cyborg. Yeah. Can you imagine if your mobile Android device was called a mandroid? You'd be like, <laughs> oh, I don't want one of them. It's like last last week. So you've got a, you've got a, um, you've got flying robots. No, we've got ma- maneuverable armed computer humans. Yeah, yeah we've, we have flowbots. <laughs> They're robots that fly. <laughs> no, maneuverable no. armed computer humans. That's yes, a robot. Computer humans. Thank you. See you <laughs> That's and a me. Robot. Stop making up <laughs> stupid things for words we already have. Mandroid. Give you Mandroid. <sighs> no, this was stupid. It was stupid and crap. And it, it was as bad as the name. I, I saw When I first saw the name, I was like, oh, God, Mandroid. What point did someone not just go, no? And I, I can only believe, I can only understand, because it's not made by the same guy who did Cyborg, is it? Different person did no, Cyborg. No, it's not. So yeah. either he's kept the license to the name Cyborg, so they've had to come up with Mandroid. <laughs> <laughs> but in which case then don't make a cyborg just ask him to make a cyborg too yeah but yeah. Well, i don't know this was yeah this was good 25 percent, 10 quid if you spent 10 quid on this good lord you're not going to be very happy with yourself you're really not no you're gonna you know you're gonna question your own programming 25 percent you got in yeah zap as well yeah oh, that means it's, it's a quarter it's crapper good. than the first one yeah, it's crapper than the first crap 20 percent that, that is an achievement in itself you actually made a sequel that's crapper yeah well, right. that's, well this, done well yeah. done golf this is clap the, for that um, golf clap it's the episode of sequels isn't it we have four sequels yeah. in this episode yes we have two of them at least have been rubbish <laughs> at least one of them makes no sense as well <laughs> yeah absolutely. well done well done, and, well and done. And this one done either yeah <laughs> mandroid there we go crap let's move on what two two more left You've got Mandroid, i got Helidrop. <laughs> Good old Helidrop. Good old Helidrop. This is two, at least it's two quid. Two quid. We'll save the score yeah. for the end. Uh, you are, Graham, you are Joe Starbuck. Helicopter Yay. pilot extraordinaire. Revolution has struck Moldovia, and your countrymen are stuck inside their embassy. They cannot be rescued. Too tricky. But they can have supplies dropped to them, so they can keep going. 
until a diplomatic solution is reached. <laughs> it's crap oh, me God. up. It's crap me up, this plot. It's like, okay. <laughs> I like it. It's kind of like it. Oh, we've got to sort this out. We've just got to keep them fed. So as Joe Starbuck, helicopter pilot extraordinaire, you have chosen, been chosen, sorry, to fly in, grab the supplies and drop them off. Don't fly with them. You know, load the helicopter first. That's all I'm saying. It's always the best no. way. Get in the um, helicopter first. Yeah, get in the yeah, and drop them off, and then make it home in time for cornflakes or proceed to the next level. At any rate, this was published by Top Ten Software and developed by Images. That's with a Z. So radical. There have been no names attached to this that I could find. Probably to protect the innocent, I guess. This is a right to left, yeah, right to left scrolling shooter. And a fairly simple one at that, do we say. So at the start of each attempt, Joe comes running out of the house to the helicopter and takes off. They take off. Good old Joe's off. Immediately, they are beset by enemy helicopters that come from the right and the left, both in front and behind. There are also gun emplacements and tanks on the ground that will also fire on Joe. Control is basic enough with joystick control of the helicopter, fire button shooting, and space bar for one of your three smart bombs. Partway through the level, you'll see some supplies on the floor. Fly into these to pick them up and then drop them over the embassy with the press of the space bar again, whereupon they will float down on a handy parachute and hopefully feed the hungry bellies of those below. You must then carry on to the end of the level. If you make contact with anything that is not your supplies, you will die and lose a life and you'll have to redo the level all over again. If you do not pick up the supplies or are off in your drop when you reach the end of the level, you will lose a life and have to do the level again. Lose all three lives and it's game over. Should you be successful in your delivery attempts, then you move on to the next level and the game has 16 of these to get through. So the premise of this is fairly simple and indeed the entire game is simple as well. To cut a long review short, I believe that this is a game that has fallen behind someone's desk in 1983 and then been found when they've moved out or something and someone has stuck it on a tape and released it for two quid. Because I, cause according to, uh, according to a YouTube clip I was watching of this, uh, the original release was very bugged, so it's probably never finished. So I just think this was sat on some disc, found... Because it's, it's clearly not a game from 1988. It's not. It no, cannot no, no. be. This would have looked just passable in 1982, 1983, let alone a month after the likes of IO. I mean, it's ridiculous. The graphics in this are simple to the point of parody. There's a point where I started to think, is this game like a parody? It's just a, what is this? It's just a piss take summit. There is no shading on anything. Your helicopter is black. The enemies are blue. Joe Starbuck is a stick man. The landscapes are the stuff that would make a five-year-old blush. Simple blue sky and green ground. The tanks and other landcrafts are just as basic. The embassy looks like some child's version of a Spanish villa or castle or something. The gameplay is simple, and there are plenty of bugs that would sometimes see me die when nothing was near me. Smart bombs would not detonate. Enemy helicopters would just explode for seemingly no reason. There was loads of others. Just Things just happened. The title screen looks like a four-year-old's version of the gunship title screen, because it's got the helicopter firing in uh, at you sort of thing. But it, it's like someone described it to a four-year-old. I can draw that. Hey. Yeah, it ain't good. <laughs> and I can only assume that, as I said, this was made years ago, found on a disc, and just shoved out. Or someone was having a laugh and never meant for it to be released. Look what I've made. And someone's gone, ha, yoink, a release. No, it was just made as a joke. There's no rationale behind this getting to shells that I can understand. It's so basic that it defies comprehension. It got 11% in Zap. <sighs> I suppose I, mean, I managed to get through a couple of levels, shot some things, so maybe it deserves that. Maybe we were playing the fixed version. I don't know. It feels unkind. It, it feels unkind of me to be harsh on this when it just feels so simple and old. It's crap. Yes, it's crap. But it it can't. It made me laugh. It made me laugh rather than made me angry, like stuff like Droid Dreams or Slain did. So this rendered this evoked another emotion that I was just laughing at this because what else could you do? 
It's so simple and so basic. It's just ridiculous. I wouldn't have been happy if I spent two quid on this, obviously, in 1988. So for that reason, it obviously needs firing into the sun. But but it, looking at it now, it's like, this is just weird. It's a weird anomaly of a game that we've not seen anything that looked or feels like this in ages. I mean, we've seen some basically crap games, but this just looks like something that was made five years ago and has suddenly been found and released. Weird, weird thing. Such a strange thing. I can't understand why anyone would think this was okay to release, even at two quid. <sighs> <laughs> strange what did you think principally the same stuff really i mean my first thought was have i time traveled and um, quick <laughs> yeah. check out the window no definitely yeah definitely this we're definitely in the times we're in there's no doubt about have that. you walked out the wrong exit to a library <laughs> i wish i had of so my question was what on earth is this doing in 1988 um very basic game it would be it would have been basic in 1984 um, very simple sprites well, there's nothing wrong with that, I guess. Um, if the game is okay, there isn't really anything great about this kind of buggy, terrible, colliding nonsense, really, is there? No. I mean, I don't. I actually don't know what the history of this is. It's clearly somebody's first game, I think, and perhaps, perhaps we should look at it in that context. I think what the reality is for this, for me, this should simply not have been released. And again, it's a sign of the pocket money fleecing going on around these times with unscrupulous publishers that will publish anything in a vain hope of some kind of monetary return. It's a clear... There's enough suckers out there, so someone will buy it kind of logic. And I don't uh, levy the blame for that at the hands of the creator of this, who probably, in all good conscience, spent a little bit of time and energy trying to make something to the best ability that they were able at the time. Who knows? The villains here really are top 10. And my feeling is they should be ashamed of themselves. They've clearly taken advantage of somebody here. No doubt promised them some kind of measure of return, which probably didn't really arrive, I imagine. Shocking and horrible, and a reminder of why Zap actually was quite important. And why budget games eventually got the reputation of being crap. Because there are really good ones out there. But, you know, the prevailing image of budget games was that they had some kind of budget cheapness attached to them. Which is not fair. But funny enough, I did a quick check into what I could see for Top 10 and their back catalogue. They'd clearly acquired a bunch of licenses. They had Amazon Warrior in there and Forbidden Forest was there. Must be a budget release that they'd picked up the licenses for as well. Right. Maybe this is something to do with that. I couldn't find anything more about it. Lord knows where this thing came from. But uh, somewhere... My spider sense about somebody's been exploited is tingling. Um, so I feel that somebody somebody somewhere should have probably never really allowed this to be released and probably didn't want it to be released and too late. I don't know the full details, but no, of course I didn't. I didn't like it. Um, it wasn't really finished. It wasn't really a game that was ever meant for public consumption, I don't believe. So no, no, no 11%. It got a pummel in there as well. So yeah, it did. Yeah, some, somebody, somebody got upset by that, I think, unnecessarily. So such sad, very sad. Yeah, such a weird thing. Heli drop. God only knows. Right, let's move along. We've got one more left, and let's move on to something that may be a little bit more better than that in the budget arena. So, Graham, tell us all about Scumball. 199 Bulldog game, this. 79% in Zap, produced by Software Creations. An interesting team they're becoming. Coded by Martin Howarth. And Tiny, I've just got Tiny. I'm guessing there's probably a, another name to that. Anyway, Martin Howarth. And music here, importantly, is Tim Follin. Yes. Um, so the game, um, I'm going to read you off the case, the uh, description of the case here. So you control Linda. That is the Laser Incorporated <laughs> Nasty's Disposal Android. Yeah. Who, as you might have gathered, is not a cuddly toy, but a dedicated killing machine. Well, I wouldn't have gathered that if you called it Linda. Would I? Um, specially created to clear the sewers of the assorted nasties that have taken over them. You must guide her path through the sewers, killing anything that gets in your way and recover the eight grenades that are scattered around. When you have gathered a grenade, you must take it immediately to the layer of the green slime. When you have gathered the final grenade, you must proceed to the layer of the green slime and use all of the grenades to destroy the slime completely. Failure to accomplish your mission 
will be regarded as a cause of full disciplinary hearing. It's really weirdly worded that. Um, contact with any of the aliens in the sewers will cause loss of power. Total loss of power will cause loss of life. Falling into the water or the spike pits causes complete loss of life, as does contact with the pods. Okay, mm. So that is kind of the back of the con- instructions. And this was obviously a game that was released across multi-formats. Essentially, the sewers have been overrun by an assortment of terrible nasties um, headed by a green creature. You've got Linda and you've got to take her through sewers on a top secret, not ready mission um, to do exactly as I've described. Now, this is, I think, Spectrum first, Commodore second. I mm-hmm. think this is originally on the Spectrum. But what you've got here is actually an interesting and well-created game. It felt to me like a spiritual successor to Starquake in loads of ways, this. Yes, absolutely. Look and feel, the way it played, everything about it. It's a real proper Spectrum conversion. And I say that because it's a, it's a close proximity in graphics and colour and everything else, but it has actually the same speed and it's not slowed down. And it's actually quite a nippy game, this, in the same way that Starquake was. Starquake had a lot of you know, speed. There's, there's nice touches to this. Very nicely drawn high-res graphics here. Lots of detail on them. It looks and moves fast and, and really well. It's quite hard, of course. Of course, it's one of these games, it's going to be rock hard, but it is quite good. It's a kind of classic uh, flip screen arcade adventure in that very tradition. And in fact, in, I was thinking about this in a tradition we haven't seen for a while in this kind of way. Yes. Yeah. Um, Britain, so, which thing. is quite nice. So, we haven't seen one of these for maybe a while, but you know, this one has a, very, a high degree of polish and a feel of something a lot more expensive than £2. Um, the controls are nice and easy. The game is immediate. There's nothing too taxing to figure out. That's why it's got a fairly tidy premise. If anything is, if it's probably a bit too simple, actually. The audio is the first we've had from Tim Folin, Folin who even with this short piece, stomps his amazing take on Sid music into being with a big panache. He had, I believe, already made, or was making a name for himself over on the spectrum because of his multi-channel music that he was producing on the Sinclair spectrum, which is quite incredible when you think of what he was doing with that. So this game harks back to more of a mapper's delight tradition. Again, we haven't even used that phrase in a while, have we? (laughs) Loads of screens to go. I think there's over 100 screens on this. Loads of pickups, loads of places to explore. Lots of falling through cave gaps, though. Um, Lots of falling in the game. I mean, I fell a lot in this game because you're kind of a little droid, droid, little robot. Quite a cute little sprite, actually. Well-drawn little robots, animated sprite. In fact, all the sprites in the game are quite nicely rendered, realised. Mm. Um, and the backgrounds too, nicely realised. The collision is good. The pace of the game is good. You're flying about. But you do. I did fall a lot, but okay. But you're not punished overly punished for falling. You've got kind of an energy meter on the screen. Your UI is at the top in this sort of tradition of these games. And you can take a bit of punishing. If you don't do something daft like land on a spike or something like that, you, can, you get five lives in total, but you can actually sort of make your way through. The only criticism I have there, of course, is that you know, you can very quickly find yourself in the, you know, the doldrums at the bottom. Some of these doldrums at the bottom don't have a really easy way of getting out of them, I don't think. I didn't play it long enough to really go right the way through all of that because I, as much as I like these games, um, I don't have the, I didn't have enough time to really dedicate a lot of, a huge chunk of the day to playing this and it would take a lot of your time. But you've got a whole bunch of load of enemy types dotted about, similar to Notes of Yesod in that kind of way, actually, in this kind of you start at the top of the cave and work your way down. We've got games to come that kind of lean on this as well, Cybernoid and Cybernoid 2 and a whole bunch of others that have, that have this kind of logic to them. I quite like that. You can pick up extra energy as you fly about, dot about. Well, you don't fly as much as run and jump in this. And you've got a decent jump as well. Good bouncy high jump that pings you quite nicely, mm. which I, I thought was quite good. I don't remember being inundated with enemies on this, although there are enemies on the screen and annoying drips and bubbles and things like that. They're not all aiming towards you from the second you go on every screen, which is a nice thing. Mm-hmm. So you're not bombarded all the time. You've got, to, you've got to navigate them in a more of a Monty on the Run type tradition, really, more than a sort of a standard sort of ultimate type game where they just come flying at you all the time annoyingly. So I quite like that. There's a lot to like for this, if you like this kind of thing. For two quid, it's good value. My criticisms really 
the game feels a bit vague about the details of what relates to what in the game. So it's nice to look at and pretty and exploring it's fun and there's loads to go at. Just doesn't really feel like there's much to go with. It could have just could have done with another paragraph. I <laughs> think just explaining a bit more about you know yeah, yeah, how yeah. it all relates to it to itself. But because you've got a bunch of enemy types, you've got a display on there. You kind of figure out the parameters of that quite quickly. But I just think if they'd have just taken a little bit of time to just flesh it out a bit more, it would have given it a little bit more. I don't know. Wait, maybe I don't know. I quite like it. Over hundred screens to go at for two quid. That ain't bad value, is it? It's really polished though, and that's what I liked. It felt really finished. And considering this is a spectrum conversion. It's one of the first times when I've actually felt that this was a worthwhile conversion and something that looked and felt like a really good conversion of something else. So it kept the resolutions and everything else. And in fact, the colors actually better on the 64 than they are on the Spectrum one. So I had a quick look. Orally, of course, well, you've got Tim Follin. And it's even though it's a very short, shortish loop, I think it's only about a minute and a half, two minutes long tops, This and it does repeat ad nauseum in the background of the game. It is a very, very interesting, clever use of the filters on the C64 to create a really nice soundscape, albeit a little bit repetitive. I like this for £2. Budget games can be good, is what I thought, looking suspiciously at the bloody heli drop box. Um, <laughs> but um, I thought it was all right. This Scumball's a bit of an odd name, but it was all right. What about you? Yeah, I have no idea what Scumball actually uh, refers to, if I'm honest. I yeah, thought it was going to be a pinball game or something, because it reminded me of that slam ball. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, you, would think, you wouldn't instinctively think robot running through flick screen mazes, would no, you? No, I don't know why it's not actually called Linda or something. Yeah. <laughs> or, 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 you know, whatever. Or robot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm pretty much on the same page. We, we, like, and I, I've written down a lot of the similar sort of things. We've not seen one of these types of games for a while that I can recall. And it's also, you know, a direct port from the Spectrum in Starquake mold. It's got, I've even written, it's got Mapper's Delight running through every screen of this. Yep, uh, it does. You know, playing as Linda. You know, seriously, though, these acronyms get more stupid as time goes on. I can only presume yeah, Linda do. was, this, you know, probably the name of the creator's wife or girlfriend or something, and so, uh, uh, so I think that's probably where that's good. Why otherwise would you call it Linda, unless you really like Linda Lasadi or something? Um, Maybe could very well be. I don't know. Well, could be, screen, you couldn't be bothered to work out what Lasadi would be in that the would be robot too acronym. It, but Lin- laser incorporated <laughs> nasty disposal androids. Like okay, uh, two quid. <laughs> I know it's just just acronyms. A it's better than, uh, still better than Mandroid. <laughs> it's way better than Mandroid. Don't get me wrong, Mandroid's stupid. But this is a good game. It, you know, it feels good to play. Careening around the screens is a bit of fun. It's it's nice in your hand. It's nice to play. Yeah, yeah. It has a good feel to the controls. It's snappy. It's fast. You're bouncing around a lot. You're just jumping about and doing stuff. But and so for two quid, it's a solid arcade adventure. It does have that annoying mechanic though. Where you just lose energy for if you don't do anything, you just do energy sort of dripping downwards. Oh, I didn't. You know, I didn't notice that. I was too busy was, frantically diving about. Yeah, because if you just stand there, you will lose energy, and I just hate that. There was that spellbound at first. Did that with you know you, spellbound, you just get, you just get yeah. tired. Oh, I'm tired. And this you is die the same from tiredness. thing. So you know, uh, uh, time to time, I would just be jumping, not near anything, and I would just explode. I'm like, oh, my energy just ran out, and I just sort of say, I'll test this. Stay there, and yeah, I could see it going down. I was like, ah, oh, don't do that. It's just annoying, really. Um, you know, don't kill me for patience. Aside from that, the fact that it looks like a Spectrum conversion, which it does, but it looks nice. So it can, you know, proof be told that Spectrum conversions can look all right. Not like the crappy ones like Jekyll and Wild or whatever, and whatever that was, and, yeah, and those hor- horrific things one. we've seen. Yeah, just terrible stuff. But this looks nice. It plays fast. The sprites are well drawn. Molecule Man, that was horrible. Molecule Man, yeah, that's another one. There's loads of screens, as you said, to explore and fight through. I'm like you. I didn't really understand what i was supposed to be doing fully 
<laughs> to watch a playthrough. Yeah. And because you can, there's eight grenades to find, isn't there? And then you've got yeah. to find the sort of big monsters and it lobs a grenade at them and you've got to kill eight of them. And you can only pick up one at a time. So you're just fighting yeah. your way through and trying to find your way to these monsters with a grenade. There's loads of things to pick up as well. But I think, you know, there's L's and, yeah. and S's and things. And I think quite understand. And- yeah, and bonuses. And I didn't quite understand what the... Th- what I didn't understand L was laser. There was the A, I think, which was your health, but it was hearts, which didn't seem to do anything. You had to find I one. I boosted your health, but maybe not. No, I, I looked. It was, it was, it was, that was collecting the little pa- battery power packs. Oh, that's right, yeah, because they gave you more power. And then, there's power, one, and then there's another bar, which was S, which I was like, what's that? I don't know what that means. Mm. <laughs> what, what's S? Shield. C- could be shield, yeah, but I never saw it go down or anything. I don't know. No. Um, so... I think, like you said, it needed a bit more explanation of its systems for yeah. you to fully understand what you were supposed to be doing and what what did what. And I think otherwise it's a bit trial and error a little bit. But two, two quid, you know, it's not my type of game. I'm not a massive map of delights, but it's a very competent one of those. Very good, very fast, very nippy. We haven't seen this, like I said, for a while. And for something like this to come along at two quid, yeah, this, you, you'd be happy with this. You'd be banging your way through this because it's it's fun to play. It's fun in the hand, should we say? And I think that's a that's a good that's a good way to end that. But yeah, I didn't mind it. Scumball. Don't know what the title means though. It means nothing. Stupid. No. But there you go. That's it. Just seven games this week, but we're keeping our sanity um, and keeping them down. But yeah, there we go. So we've looked at Strike Fleet, which we liked. Mm. Um, we did like that. We looked at Night Games Poo, which which, we <laughs> which was weird and we don't understand. Sky Fox 2, which we liked uh, yeah, to good. some degree. Traz, which again, we liked to some degree, but with some all right. caveats. It's all right. It's all right, yeah. yeah. We looked at Mandroid, which no. we didn't like. No. Uh, we looked at Helidrop, which... No, it's just it's just oh, it's strange. Somebody's and, been exploited and not in a good way. Yeah, not and finally, there is a good way. Not there is a good way. No, and finally we looked at Scumball. Do you realise, Graham, that that's more than a fifty percent hit rate in this episode? Wow, we're doing four better, games you we say. like out of seven: Strike Fleet, Skyfox Two, uh, Traz, and uh, Scumball. There are only three we didn't Interesting. like. Yeah, that's true. We'll be getting a reputation that we're we're going soft in our old age. Gonna think, I go. People are going to think we're just likers now. <laughs> it's better than being lickers. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to be liked it's better to be licked it's better to be licked yeah <laughs> <laughs> that whole important C um, but yeah there we go so it's an interesting bunch of games this week some in-depth ones but um, we'll carry on we carry on into April next week uh, what have we got to look forward to next week well we've got Fourth and Inches cool bit of Gridiron bit of Gridiron nice. yeah it's supposed to be one of the better ones isn't it that one so we'll yeah, wait and yeah. see Thundercross okay don't, never don't, heard of that never heard of it we've got uh, Blockbusters <laughs> which uh, I'm looking please. forward to Dan Dare 2 there are the cover there games Snooker and Pool <laughs> he likes snooker, snooker and I pool. like pool Task 3 ooh amazing music in Task 3 oh is there who's that by I don't know but it's amazing music I can tell you that <laughs> okay it, it really is okay and finally Sokoban which I have no idea about ooh Sokoban uh, Sokoban I don't know don't know could be anything yeah it could be anything could be anything that's, so that's coming up next week as we get into the middle set of games for April. Before we go, just like to say, as always, if you wish to support the podcast, you can do that by going over to patreon.com forward slash zap to the past. And for a pound, you can throw us a pound each month and that is greatly appreciated. It or is. you can you can join up for the full the full uh you know, the full menu of uh, stuff. The full English breakfast, yeah. Absolutely. It's all sausage. <laughs> <laughs> There's two of everything. <laughs> yeah. 
It's two sausages, two sausages, and two sausages with a bit of egg on the side. Um, <laughs> um, for, for that, you get access to the Discord server. It's £4.50 or your local uh, currency equivalent. Equivalency. Ask us access to the Discord server. And you get the episodes early. Any bonus episodes, they're ad-free um, and things like that. And you just get to join in and have the stuff going on. Get to ask us questions at certain times yeah. and we'll yeah, answer them and all sorts of cool stuff. Questions for our Ask the Podcast if you're burning desire to do that sort of thing. And so, yeah, that also, you know, puts a smile on our face and uh, helps us It does. It helps really us keep does. Going. It does. You should Amazing see every, little community we've got there. Yeah, every time we get anyone, I can feel Graham's beam all the way from uh, oh, all across the distance. It's I like the sun, sun comes up. It's lovely, lovely. That's about it. I don't think we've got much else. Anything else you would, would you to add, Mr. Raddings? No, no, not at all. I think uh, we've played enough of those. I think it's time to let people's ears have a rest and then... You remember, we played them so you didn't have to, so you don't have to experience Heli Drop. We did. We did that for you. We, we took that one. We did. Yeah. It's, you know, it's... We've had to play a game called Mandroid. I still feel a little bit dirty. <laughs> I don't know why. Wash my hands it's just now. just a cyborg. <laughs> it's just the same <laughs> word. Stop it. Stop creating words. Mandroid. <laughs> it sounds like a, it literally sounds like a sex toy. Well, the thing is, a cyborg doesn't have any kind of gender specificity, does it? A mandroid means that he's probably got, you know, cock and balls. <laughs> uh, maybe. I mean, I'm not just, no, I'm not just placing that stereotype upon them, but that yeah. just li- lends itself to that kind of, you know, and that in that image, if they put that on that image where he stood in that doorway, that would change the dynamic of that relationship with that room immediately. It, re- it really does. It looks like the start to some sort of sci-fi, it looks like a sci-fi porn still. It that does, cover. actually, yeah, it does. Yeah, yes, it I've does. I've come to fix the shower. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. It's really bad. Um, so, Mandroid. Yeah, that's it. So, I think on that note, we will leave you. As ever, I have been Adrian Mills. And I have been Graham Raddings. And you have been listening to Zapped to the Past, and we will see you again next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zapped to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at zaptother, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.